On this episode of A Soul's Quest podcast, we're getting to know my very good friend, Joan Rivera. Joan takes us through what she describes as her crazy life, which includes being a wife, a daughter, and professor of emergency management. Stay tuned. All right, so let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right, so typically we start our, our, you know, segments with, um, we we go through the stages of life. So where were you born? Um, Omar likes to say, where were you pitched in? Where was I pitched in? Mm -hmm. Um, I was born in Melbourne, Florida in 1970. It was, we actually lived in Palm Bay, but Palm Bay at the time was too small to have a hospital. Mm. Oh. Palm Bay is south of Melbourne, isn't it? Just a little bit south. Yeah, just a little bit. Really close by though. Okay. And what was your family structure like? Were you So you were born in Melbourne, but you lived in Palm Bay. Yes, we lived in Palm Bay. Um, so my dad was a Southern Baptist minister and my mom was a math teacher. My um, Both my parents, um, my dad had a master's in theology and my mom had a bachelor's degree in mathematics with a, um, a uh, what do they do, the secondary thing um, in theology too. Oh, mm. okay. Well, like, like a, a minor? concentration yeah, or whatever. Minor, okay. yes, a minor, a minor, okay. a minor in theology. So, so they were both relit. They both. So he ran it. He was a minister in a church, their own church, or yeah. So um, you know, when it, it it's kind of like you move around, mm. and you know, my dad would say wherever God called him. So actually, before I was even one, we moved from um, Palm Bay to Avon Park, and then before I was. Before I was five, we moved from Avon Park to Mulberry, Florida. And then before I was 10, we moved from Mulberry to Vera Beach. Okay. And I am the third, I'm the fourth child. So my parents wanted three kids or until they had a boy and a girl. So my, have my sister Joy, um, who, uh, you know, then came June three years later, then three years later came Joel. And then 13 months later came me. So I was an oops baby. <laughs> oops <laughs> baby. To, my, my name in the um, in Hebrew, my parents have always told me that my name in Hebrew means God's unexpected gift. Aww. And mom always introduces me, even now with her Alzheimer's, she always says, this is my daughter. This is our, uh, our you know, our added blessing. That's how she introduces me. That's so sweet. <laughs> Do you take it that way, or do you? Were when you young when you were younger? Did you ever think, here we go again? No, I mean, I, I think when I when I was young, it was um, you know I was so close to my brother. Um, my mom always tells a story how I took care of him, and that he uh, he came home from um, first grade saying that his life was ruined. And my mom said, "What happened?" And um, when I went to kindergarten, I learned I didn't have to take care of my brother anymore. So he says that ruined his life because I wasn't waiting on him <laughs> hand and foot. <laughs> so he's the only boy. He's the only boy. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about your earliest memories in childhood, uh, encompassing your family structure, the things that you guys did as a family. And how was that? Like, so everything was always focused on religion and church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, um, in the, the churches that we went to, we lived in the pastorium, which is a home that's provided by the church itself. But my dad, until I was in kindergarten, my mom actually, she so she worked as a teacher to put my dad through college, through missionaries, not missionary, but through um, theology and through his master's and stuff like that. And mm. then once he started working and they started having kids, um, she stayed at home with us until I went to, to kindergarten. And then she started teaching again. But... So we probably lived on, uh, 
I mean, we were poor, you mm-hmm. know, we didn't know we were poor. And probably the only reason that we were making it was because we did get to live in the house, you know, the pastor for free, but I can, you know, if, if you behaved, if you were the best behaved one, you got to go grocery shopping with mom. And, you know, <laughs> I, I got to go grocery shopping with mom a lot. And it was so exciting to go to the store and, and we'd go to the back of the store where the scratch and dent cans were, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and we'd pick them out, you know, cause they were the cheapest ones. I mean, sometimes a nickel, they had dents in them. You know, we didn't get the ones with the, where the lid was kind of popped over cause that's botulism. Of course she would right. never do that. But no, right. no. Right. we had a lot of food that, you know, we got that didn't have the, the labels on it. So it was just a can. So like a surprise. It, that was the coolest <laughs> it was thing. A surprise. And I'd get to open up the can at night. Now the green beans. Oh, you know? yay. Yeah. What yeah. if it was something you did? What don't you like to eat? Well, but you like, liked your vegetables. Well, right I, I do you were like good kid vegetables. yeah okay. but you know there's sometimes you'd open up and you'd be like tomatoes what are we gonna do with that you know but oh, mom yeah mom would um we always had roast every sunday um mm-hmm. what she would do is she'd put the roast in the oven before we left for church and we'd le- usually leave for church about seven and she put it really low cooking so that when we got done with church um you know because my um you know the way my dad preached was we were done at noon mm. it didn't matter he would be in mid thought and he could wrap that up and go right into, all right, let's time for the benediction, you know, come forward and, you know, if you mm. want to be saved and stuff type thing mm. so that we could get home in time for the roast. Um, so, but, so we always had a roast on Sunday. Uh, we had, my mom could take like, she'd get a big thing of the, the ground beef that was going to expire soon, you mm-hmm. know, just again, real, a lot cheaper. And then she'd cook it and she'd start with like, um, maybe the first night she would do Salisbury steak, you know, which is basically just ground beef with onions in it. Pounded mm-hmm. together like a book, a, a burger. I just said boogie, but like a burger. <laughs> and then she made gravy, and that was Salisbury steak. Right. And then the next night, she'd rinse off all the gravy and she'd break it up, and we'd have spaghetti. And mm. then the next night, she would add, um, you know, some like noodles, like the little macaroni noodles, and it would be a, um, um, like uh, a goulash a or goulash. something. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. And then the other thing she would do is she would make. She called it Texas hash, but it's the same meat. The same tomatoes, the same everything, but then she'd make some rice, and all of a sudden it's Texas hash. You know mm. that. So, so we kind of. She always made sure that we had our meals, and she always made sure that she was. My mom is the most amazing woman ever. I know we all think that, but mm-hmm. like at Christmas time, we always had the four of us. We always had the same amount of gifts, mm-hmm. and it, she always spent the exact same number of oh. the, the amount. So. You know, and a lot of times that would only be, you know, $20, which was a lot of money back then. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and you, and you, we'd make our Christmas list, you know, the Sears catalog, guys, remember the Sears catalog? Oh, yeah. 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 You know, and you'd circle all the stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and she'd give us a catalog. We'd have to circle all our stuff and stuff. And she, but she would always make down, down to a penny. Like if Joel, if she spent a penny more on Joel and she did the rest of us, then she would buy, you know, the candy. She would make sure we got an extra little thing of chocolate in our stocking. Mm-hmm. It was always completely even. She she loved us all the same. She made sure everything was fair. I mean, I had a, I had a great childhood. My my parents are, um, I mean, amazing. Most of the time was spent in church. So, you know, we leave 7 o'clock on Sundays for church. We'd get home about 1230. Um, we'd be leaving again for church about 430 or 5, and we'd be there until 830 at night. Um, Monday night was usually some type of thing going on at church we'd go to. Tuesday night and Thursday night were visitation. So, um we didn't have to go, but my dad was always gone. And then Wednesday night was RA and GAs and stuff like that. So again, we were back at church and then Saturday was always some type of social or something. So we probably spent any time I wasn't in school, probably 90% of my time not in school was spent at the church. At the church. 
Did you enjoy that time? Like, do you recall that being like, so because you had a good childhood at home, obviously your yeah. mom made it. Yeah. So I, I mean, you, you know, it's just, it's just, you do it. I mean, you you're don't there. Think anything um, it. I mean, it wasn't, um, <clears throat> you know, with your dad being preacher, it's kind of different because you always had to live up to a different standard. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, I remember one time I was in church and he was in mid sermon and the girl next to me, she was a talker. And I didn't, I didn't like sit next to her because I knew what would happen when she talked. <laughs> right. But she sat down next to me and, and she was talking to me during the sermon. I wasn't, I had my Bible open. I was paying, I was looking right at my dad and she turned to me and said something. Dad middle, in the middle of the sermon says, Joan, do I need to come down there and spank you? Mm. <laughs> of course, everybody turned around and looked at me. I was like, no, sir. No, sir. Wow. How was your relationship with your dad? I mean, you just gave us an example of... Um, in public, you had there was an expectation regarding being the preacher's daughter. So I mean, it was good. You know, you definitely have you had a higher standard and mm. a higher expectation. Um, you know, Jesse knows because we do work together. You know, I, I don't. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I'll ask you. You know, if you ask me a question that I don't think you're going to like the answer to, I'll say, "You sure you want to know?" Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And um, you know, and if you kind of hesitate, then I just change the subject. But if you say you want it, I'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but and that's part of the way I learned. I learned that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it, it, but it was great, though. It was really good. It was really you feel bad telling me. And I'm like, no, don't feel bad. It's a, this is really good feedback. Yeah, yeah. So so I mean, you know, and, and there's you know, we were raised, you don't cheat, you don't steal, you don't lie, you know, mm. all the Ten Commandments, all that stuff. You know, you just don't do any of that. So it was hard watching other people get away with things, mm. um, you know, and then I was being held to a higher standard and, um, you know, so, I mean, but I had, I had a, a great, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of uh, this is probably one of the things that stands out most. And I don't know if you've heard this story, <coughs> Jesse. Okay. Um, so I, 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 I know you can't tell from looking at me now, but I was, I'm, I'm a damn good athlete. <laughs> I mean, Oh, I know about that. Yeah, I yeah. taught myself to juggle in three hours. Oh, wow. Uh, I have really good hand-eye coordination. So <laughs> um, my dad would come to my games, but the games are on Tuesdays and Thursdays usually, so he'd always come in his visitation, which means he would come in his suit. Mm-hmm. So we were playing a basketball game one night, and my dad, of course, walked in, and everybody's like, your dad's here, you know, because they always thought it was funny that my dad would come in a suit when their parents are there, you know, and whatever. Relax. And yeah. he would sit up top and he would just you know right at the top and he'd look down now my dad was a really good athlete he played basketball in high school and college I mean mm. I never beat my father in basketball <laughs> and I mean I was pretty darn good at it but he would just no matter where I would go like if I try and do a hook it didn't matter he could just smack that down <sighs> so I mean he was a really good athlete too and but he'd come to the games and I remember one day I was, we were playing a um I think we were playing Westwood and this girl had these long nails and she, they'd put her on me. Now, I'm, I'm not a fast runner, but I'm a really good shot. So mm-hmm. you, they were trying to keep me away because I could do from, you know, the tip, the free throw line, any of that. Any, you just, if I get close enough where I can get it there, I'm probably going to get it in. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure her coach had said, just stay on her, you know, because I'm slow. So it's not like I'm getting around people. <laughs> you just don't want me to get close enough to shoot. <laughs> so anytime I got close. You know your strengths. Yeah. You know your strengths. Yes, exactly. Yes. So anytime I got close enough to shoot, she would foul me. And she wouldn't just like foul i mean she would outright foul me mm. she would scratch me oh. just hit me and this had gone on this is about you know the second quarter and of the game and she came and i went to make a shot 
And she just went like that and just, I mean, literally I had scratch marks and blood were just running down my oh, arms. Oh, wow. And no I, technical? I pushed her back. I pushed her back. And the umpire said, foul on me. Called a technical on me. Wow. So, so my dad, you know, because, and this is, my dad's up there and he's, he's watched the whole game. He's seen me get fouled. I looked at the umpire and I was like, what? I mean, that's all I said. What? And then my coach came running out. My coach was in the guy's face and really telling him off, you know, because, mm -hmm. I mean, he knew mm -hmm. it was a bad call. Mm -hmm. My dad walked down from the stands, stood by the bench until the coach came back and told the coach to take me out of the game. And the coach said, why? She didn't do anything wrong. He said, take her out of the game or I will. Mm. And the coach did not do it. My dad, <clears throat> middle of the game, walked out, grabbed my shirt, walked me back to the bench and said, you'll sit there until you can learn to respect authority. Mm. And then he went back up and sat at the top. And the coach was like, um, substitution? Because <laughs> that was it. I sat there the rest of the game. Really? Yeah. So you didn't, you weren't disrespectful. I, I learned an early lesson. Later on in life, I played competitive softball and I actually coached many of the teams I played on. Mm. And um, when my team would get upset or say something bad about a ref's call and da-da-da-da-da, and they'd, oh, I said, uh-uh, mm -mm, come on, you're going to sit on the bench. Yeah. And they're like, well, that's a bad call. I'm like, you know, you're right, that was a bad call. Mm -hmm. But we need to speak with our bats. We need to speak with our strategy, not with our mouths, because we're not changing anything. Mm. You know, and they're like, well, that call could cost us the game. And then I would always say, if one call cost us the game, then we were so close we didn't deserve to win. Mm. And that, you know, so I, I learned it was a life's lesson. It was a difficult thing to learn because there's that higher standard again. Yeah. But, you know, it did teach me a lot. And I and I don't now. I don't, you know, I can get frustrated on the inside. I may be screaming. I can't believe how bad that call was. But, again, if we're so close that one call is going to cost us the game, we probably shouldn't be in this game at all. Mm. That's the way we do it. That's interesting. So, so what was what was was there a moment in which your dad um, sat down with you and explained to you that the, the reason for his decision? No, I knew what it was. You knew I was disrespectful. I knew I knew better than to do that. So, oh, how did you okay. have that presence of mind to know that you were like there must have been <coughs> lessons that you learned as a child and then into your adolescence because you're talking about being in an adolescent stage right yeah, now Yeah, I was and in um it was um what eighth grade like did you ever have though periods where your dad would sit like did you ever have I guess what I mean is um some people have moments where their parents will sit down and teach them something and that's like a lesson that they're going to learn and apply through their life did your dad do that with you so all of our teachings came through the bible really because right. we spent so much time at church so okay. I mean there was you know, there were times that you learn from dad preaching. There's times you learn from, you know, the, the Bible schools. There's time you learn from, um, uh, you know, Sunday school. There was mm -hmm. always, but I mean, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Okay. I knew, you know, it wasn't like he had to tell me, don't be disrespectful. I mean, I knew when yeah. I went, what? I shouldn't have done that, that he was an authoritarian, you know, he, he had, he was a figure in power Yeah. and I was questioning his authority mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I didn't have a right to not, not as I can't have a conversation, but what did that call matter? I mean, I wasn't mad at the ref. Mm -hmm. I was mad at that girl. The yeah. Girl. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, that's in, could I have changed that? No, because she's who she was. Mm -hmm. yeah. Obviously that's how she was raised to be ugly, but that's not how my parents raised me. You know, that yeah. whole turn the other cheek and stuff like right. that. I understand that's really, that. yeah, that's um, very interesting that, cause you, you had not everybody, 
a lot of parents don't instill that. And I'm not knocking any parents out there right. because that could come from this, but to have that um, awareness in yourself that you're like, oh, I know that what asking that question was. But there's something important and to say about that, though, because <clears throat> that's that's something that I think that in our society that we're missing. Oh, yeah. You know, Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I'm someone that does question authority um, at, my, at my age, um, but there was a certain reverence that we've had mm-hmm. um, to people in positions um, of, of power or mm-hmm. of authority over us, you know, mm-hmm. um, but that's not, that's not something that is common anymore. No, no, not at it, all. It's not. I will, I will say, so there was a time my dad had a conversation with me. I was, I think it was, um, I was in high school and I got a B on a philosophy exam. Mm-hmm. And my well, dad, we know how you feel about philosophy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes yeah. And my dad says, why do you think you got to be on that? Mm -hmm. And I said, I know why I got to be. He goes, well, why? I said, because I was arguing with the, the, you know, the teacher about that. He's like, well, why'd you (laughs) argue with him? I said, because the question he wrote, there was multiple opportunities to say different things. I said, the question, as far as I was concerned, back then I didn't know about validity and stuff like that. But now I'm like, yeah, that was really, the validity was way off on that question. (laughs) But, you know, back then I knew that, okay, I can answer it this way, this way, or this way. So how are you grading it? And it was an upsetting question to me because if you're going to ask me a question, there should really... You, I either need to know how you're going to grade it mm-hmm. so that I can get fair, you know, judgment on that. Or if I answer different than you, but I can validate my question, then you should give me credit. And he wouldn't give me credit, even though I could validate it. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and my dad just kind of smiled and he goes, you'd do a lot better in that class if you didn't argue with the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was, it was years later <clears throat> I figured out. So that, that particular teacher, and I don't know, am I allowed to say names? Yeah. If you feel comfortable. Yeah. Mr. Lenmark, I adored him. I had him for history in like, I think uh, what in seventh grade. And then I went on to eighth grade. He mm-hmm. moved up to eighth grade mm-hmm. and I had him for a class then. And now, then he moved up. To interrupt. That was in Vero Beach High School? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Vero well, Beach actually, High School. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was like, no, I had him in, had him in ninth grade, ninth grade. I can't remember. God, it all runs together. Anyway, I had him like four <laughs> years in a row. So I uh-huh. had him a year and every time I bumped up, it got moved up. Well, when I was, so I had all the credits I needed to graduate high school in 11th grade. Mm, oh. Nice. I, and my mom would not let me quit school though. Oh um, yeah. She made me So go. you didn't, Oh, I took my senior year was like softball. I was going to say, did you like work and stuff? Junk. Yeah. yeah okay. All that crazy. So I, nice. took, I mean, it was like, it was crazy. But so in 11th grade, you needed, um, a class and I signed up for a class and uh, what did I sign up for? I can't remember what I signed up for. But my schedule came back and said philosophy. And I'm like, what in the world? I didn't sign up for philosophy. Mm-hmm. So I went to the advisor and they said, no, no, you did sign up. I said, I did not sign up for philosophy. I know I didn't sign up for philosophy. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, that's on your schedule. So you need to go to it. So I went to class and there's Mr. Lundmark. And, <laughs> and I'm looking at him. I said, oh, you what ha- I was like, what happened here? He goes, oh, I requested you because I know we're going to have so much fun <laughs> in this class. <laughs> I said, Mr. Lundmark, I said, you changed my, squed- my schedule? He goes, listen. He goes, I need somebody that's going to be able to, I can bounce things Argue. off of. Yeah. yeah. And the, it- that's the beauty of you. I mean, I know we probably should wait, but that's one of the things that I just think is of uh, anytime I feel like I'm having an issue or I want to talk something out because I want to know the good, the bad, and the ugly in the middle and make a, a sound decision. I come to you because you, even if I don't want you to say something, like if I come to you about a situation with me and Omar, I mean, I know we don't get in depth about stuff, but when I share stuff, I'm like, was I wrong? Was I wrong? Really? 
then you'll say, well, you know, in Omar's defense. And I'm just like, really? Hey. And it makes me so mad. I'm glad know? I have an advocate. But good, let's go back. Anyway, let's, back to you. Okay, yes. I just love that about you. You, I know how you feel about philosophy. So it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, so, so I would sit in class and like he'd ask a question to the class. And of course no one would answer. I mean, because mm-hmm. I mean, you're you know, 11th grade. They're not thinking about philosophy, right? So then he would say, what do you think, Joan? <laughs> and that would be it. We would sit there and we would argue, you know, the entire class. And, and especially when it came to anything related to the Bible, he's like, well, the Bible says, but, you know, if we were to look at it differently, and I just like, oh, Mr. Lamar, don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. But that's how we, I mean, and, and I had so much fun in that class, but I really think he had probably more fun than me because, yeah. um, but it was a good class. I, you know, I learned a lot, you know, Socrates, Aristotle, all those guys, you know. Yeah. I think, therefore I am. Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to get into any yeah. philosophical debates today. Not no, going to happen. Let's not get into a Descartes. No, or like that no right none now. of that. Yeah. No. yeah so, so, you know, in the way, the way here's when people always ask me, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And I put this in my little thing you guys had me mm-hmm. fill out. You know, I always look at my say, listen, you know, I, I'm, I'm not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. Mm-hmm. It's not half a glass of water. It's not half full. It's not half empty. It's just half a glass of water, people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Yeah. Right? It, what you make out of life is what you choose to make out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's. All right. And we, we're going to get into those yeah. reflections because okay. I, 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 uh, no, you're fine. Yeah, you, st- <laughs> you skip to the end. We can't yeah. do that. No, we'll, no, we'll do that. But I do understand because um, um, I remember uh, taking the class with Dr. Cohen. Yeah. Um, at um, Elliot, Elliot Cohen. Cohen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and. Ethics. Yeah. Right. Yes, and, okay. and 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 we were talking about uh, the question that he asked: Is there free will, or, or are things free, predetermined? You know, and I'm like, well, I don't know. There's a little bit of both in there. Absolutely. You know, so it's both. like, how do you answer that? And we used to get into arguments all the time. But that he's one of my only my only college professors that I truly remember because it was fun. Yeah. It was engaging. It made you think. It made you question. Yeah. It, it allowed you to articulate a point. Um, and be able to express that point and back up the data. So this is interesting to have such a beautiful relationship with a teacher at this age. So how did that make you feel? Well, I mean, we had, we had fun, you know, it was a little weird being your schedule getting changed. Mm -hmm. Um, But once, once I was in the class, I realized why he did it. And, you know, again, I had all, everything I needed to graduate. So to me, I was kind of like, yeah, what's the big deal? You know? I didn't have to write any papers mm-hmm. or anything like that, you know, because most of it was arguing basically or discussions. <laughs> discussions, um, that's better. You know, we did have to take some <clears throat> tests and quizzes and stuff like that. And I've always been a really good test taker. Mm. So, um, but that one time he gave me that B, that was what we argued about. And I'm like, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm like, this is what you asked. It could be this, this, and this. And he's like, well, I, I wanted you to answer this. I said, then you should have written the question differently. If that's what yeah. you wanted. Yeah. You know, and he just smiled. He just laughed. Do you think that because when you because I because I know you and I know that you really stand um, up for the things that you believe in and you protect people, even people that you don't care for. I think that you really do stand up for people. It's either right or it's wrong. Right. Do you think that uh, it's obvious that that came up from your teachings with your, you know, from the Bible and your Mm -hmm. parents Mm -hmm. and, and the way that you lived your life? Do you think that that is that something that and I already know the answer to this question for the most part, but is that something that you sort of resented in certain situations or have you always just, that's my moral compass. This is yeah. it. And I don't care what it's. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I resented <clears throat> it. I think it has been a hindrance to my career many times okay. um, because people don't always want to hear the truth. 
Mm. Um, and people like people who can be dishonest and mm-hmm. manipulative, and that's not who I am. So I think it has been a hindrance, but I'm still very happy with who I am. You know, and I, I, um, you know, one of the things at work, and Dr. Ferreira knows this, that um, when people have the title like that, I'm going to call them by it. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're always like, oh, no, call me by my first name. I can always hear my mom saying, don't you be disrespectful. Mm. Yeah. You know, because that was, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Mm. You know, and if they had a title, Mr., Mrs., Doctor, whatever it is you call them by it, because yeah. that's just the way that I was raised. You know, and, and I don't want you guys to think, so I remember that movie Footloose? Yes. Mm-hmm. Love so that movie. So when that movie came out, um, was during that time in my life. When that movie came out, everybody's like, Joan, that's just like your life. It's just like your life. It's just like your life. And um, I said, well, I haven't seen the movies. I wasn't allowed to watch those right. kind of movies. And right. we weren't allowed to listen to music and stuff like that unless it was gospel. And um, so one day I spent the night at a friend's house and we watched that movie and they're like, isn't it just like your life? And I'm like, at the end of that movie, John Lithgow actually admitted he was wrong. Mm-hmm. I said, that's not my life. Mm. My dad, my dad doesn't think he's wrong about anything mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that, and that's part of men during that period. Mm-hmm. That was who they were. They're not wrong. It's my weird. Um, but I didn't see it as a, bad thing Mm -hmm. because I have I mean we had so much love in the house yeah we knew we were supported we knew that um you know our parents would be there for us we had um you know my mom I mean I just can't tell you how amazing she is I mean I I still I love my mama I know you do Yeah. yeah that's awesome do you um so then Back to, so now we're in your sort of like high schoolish, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. We're, what was like, what were your friends like? What was, did you date? Were you allowed to date? Wasn't allowed to date. Okay. Um, and I, my bad sister, I have a good sister, bad sister. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was wondering if, if they, you were going to say this. If they ever this. see this, you guys have to make sure they never see this. We need thing. to share subscribe and share <laughs> do not share them. find them yeah do not find, find them. them and share um but so she 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 dated quite a bit and got around quite a bit mm-hmm. um and it there were times that my mom would cry at night because of um the things that my bad sister had done mm. so i i didn't even want to go there i wouldn't mm. i never wanted to upset my mom or make her cry because she's the sweetest lady i mean my mom is the person that so she was a math teacher she would get to school, you know, classes started at, you know, like 745. My mom would get there before seven just in case a kid was hungry because back then mm. they didn't serve him breakfast. No. Oh, and she okay. always had snacks in her in her um, case for them. Mm. And she'd always stay after just in case a student needed a ride home or didn't have food when they went home. I mean, that's mm. who my mom was. Yeah. Um, you know, she would come to my softball games and she, you know, and again, she graded all the papers and stuff like that. She had this board, a piece of board that when she would sit at my softball game, she would put the board on the steering wheel and she'd line up the papers and she would sit there and grade papers and kind of watch my game. And she would always like, if she heard people cheering or stuff like that, that's when she would look up. And if it was me, they were cheering about, she'd beep the horn. So people like, <laughs> your mom's here, Joan. You know, just beep, 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 you know, and stuff. So, but you know, it was, it, 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 it was, it was very different than most people most mm-hmm. of their childhoods you mm-hmm. know there are a couple times that you know um i i actually did go to a couple parties and drink um when i was underage and um i won't say i felt guilty but i knew it was wrong mm. and i just i'm very thankful that no one got hurt you right. know because i look back now and i'm like oh my god you know that was stupid you know um because that friend was driving and you know and, and i'm i don't believe in drinking and driving and you know and mm-hmm. stuff so 
that was um that troubles me to this day because what if someone had gotten hurt? What if, mm-hmm. you know, there had been a car accident? And, and that that's the kind of stuff that bothers me. If What if I made a mistake that impacted somebody else? If I make a mistake and it only impacts me, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll get over it. But if I make a mistake and impacts somebody else, yeah. then I feel bad. Yeah. And this is all that. attributed to <clears throat> your upbringing, your parents. Absolutely. <clears throat> so let me ask you this. Now that um, and you're transitioning um, right now, um, from a stage of dependency, right? You, this is you got a, you having a, you have a good foundation, a good value system, um, but it comes a point in which you know your biology and your your need to assert yourself as an individual be, 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 becomes a, a, like a, the most important thing. After high school, um, what transitions or what actions do you take in order to become more self reliant? So I was actually hired um, before I turned 18 and you legally they couldn't hire me. So I had to, I volunteered for a month um, to dispatch at a police department and um, I was making pretty good money mm-hmm. and still living at home. So I bought myself a Mustang. Ooh. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> what year? In yeah. 1989, I bought Ooh. myself a 1990 Mustang GT 50 stick. So you shift. bought oh, a brand wow. new car. Yeah. And it was funny because my mom stick shift. Yeah. You heard that. Stick shift. Wow. It had to be a, it's a Mustang. You oh, can't yeah. have anything. But Let a, me tell you, yeah. my you mom went with fast. me to go get it. My mom went with really? me to go, and she co-signed because I didn't have credit. Nice. You know? um, so she co-signed. And I still remember one day, she's like, I'm going to take your car. You know, you're parked behind me. I'm going to take your car to the store. I said, okay. And she came back. She was ghost white. (laughs) I said, mama, are you okay? Are you okay? And she goes, so your car is really fast. (laughs) Apparently she had popped the clutch going into second gear and left some skid marks downtown Mm -hmm. Bureau. So that car was out of car. I got pulled over four times in one night in that car. What? Four times in one night. It you, just looked it's fast. It's a stick shift and it you're looked, young. It just looked and fast. It's a sexy car and this whole stick shift, being a girl driving a stick shift. Yeah. I mean, I know because awesome. my dad made me drive a stick shift. The first car I had to learn awesome. to drive a stick shift. So, yeah, awesome. I'm sure. Awesome. Okay. So so then, so you were working? You were working? Oh, yeah, so I was working. working so, yeah, that kind of, um, that was, you know, so I was making good money and mm-hmm. able to, uh, you know, move on and, I, I lived with my parents until um, I, so the only thing I did is I actually shot pool quite a bit and I'm pretty good at it. I'll take your money, Omar. Um, <laughs> I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. No. We should go out and play pool one yeah, night. That'd be fun. Yeah. No, I don't want to be, I don't want to be hustled. We won't do money. We'll just bring like those fake, like chips, like fake coins and she can pretend like no, she won. No, still the pride is there. There it is. Yeah. There's, there's, I knew ma- there's a matter of pride. Matter of pride. <laughs> you know? You'll take his pride from him. So, but shooting pool, yeah. I'd met. Um, my first husband and, um, you know, that was a bad decision. That was, um, you know, I have the most amazing husband in the world right now, but my first husband, it was a bad decision. Mm-hmm. Um, what made it so, if you don't mind me prying into that. Um, so the relationship actually, he was verbally, physically, mentally, and financially abusive. Mm. And, um, you know, I have a amazing son from it. Um, but you know, the, um, the road to getting there, um, was rough. And I, I remember I went to my dad and told my, you know, the hard decision I had to make, I think at that time in my life was telling my dad I was going to get a divorce mm. um, because you know, my parents didn't believe in divorces. And when I, I, I went over to the house and I said, dad, I need to talk to you. And he's like, okay. And I looked at him and I was upset. I started crying. I was so upset because I knew he's, I just knew he was going to be disappointed in me. Mm-hmm. I said, dad, I, I'm going to divorce him. And my dad says, Okay. And I said, well, aren't you upset? He goes, the Bible says you shouldn't be unevenly yoked. Mm. And I was like, 
I, it took me a minute, but basically that was my dad giving me permission to get out of, because my dad knew how bad it was. I mm-hmm. don't, I don't, I, I take that back. My dad never knew that he hit me. My dad never knew that all those other things happened, but uh, my dad knew it was, it was a bad situation. You know? So I was just like, that was his way of supporting it. Cause I mean, I'm going to tell you, my dad doesn't believe in divorce and mm-hmm. for him to say that, and they did financially have to help me get that divorce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I assumed all the debt. Um, because it was the only way to make it clean and just get out of there. I assumed all the debt, all his debt he had prior to us being together, everything. Mm, yeah. Um, so. so let me ask you this, because there's a lot of people that are in relationships like that, and it's hard for them to get out. Uh, how long did it take you to kind of like realize, all right, this is it. I, I've, I've had enough. Yeah, and, so, and what gave you the courage to move forward? So over the years, I've worked with a lot of, women in that situation because I've worked with at-risk families and um you know the stories I could tell you Mm -hmm. we're not going to tell them on camera Mm -hmm. though but the Mm -hmm. stories I could tell you Mm -hmm. um uh, you know and and what it took was um him almost hurting Mm. your son yeah and um that was the final straw or was it just like a build-up to that oh that was it okay that was it he um I was trying to get away from him one night um you know and uh, so let me, well, let me take you back a few years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I had a very high risk pregnancy. So um, when I, where I was at at work, um, my supervisor was just not a good person. And um, I was working a day shift and um, I was working the day shift with her and the night shift had called out sick. And so I'd come in at 7 a.m. <coughs> And the night shift wasn't going to be there. So she says, hey, we got to work over. And I'm like, okay, now I'm I'm eight months pregnant at this point. Mm. My ankles and my feet are so swollen, I can't even wear shoes right now. Okay? I'm miserable. They Actually, it's funny because um, when you go to that area, they when they were redoing the dispatch area, they the contractor came in and says, um, you know, hey, can I speak with you? And the, the sergeant's like, hey, yeah, can you stand up? And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And they measured me. They measured my <laughs> belly. And I said, excuse me, what are you guys doing? And they're like, we want to make sure you're able to get to the kitchen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so when they were designing the area, they made sure that you the, the pregnant were, woman so you were the standard. That's so funny. Wow, that's yeah. a, you, you, so your, your belly was the measurement for the code department, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those that are, was, wow. <laughs> so that was, um, so anyway, so I was pregnant. And, um, you know, so I worked the night shift. Um, I mean, I, you know, 7 a.m. And at 10 o'clock, um, she she walks outside uh, of the dispatch area and she goes back to she was um, dating the sergeant at the time so she walked back there talked to him then she came around front and now she's outside the dispatch area at this point so it's just me in this room and she through the window she says the midnight shift called out sick too you have to work that and then she left oh. i worked 22 hours wow eight months pregnant oh my gosh I was so uncomfortable and just felt awful. So I did have the next day off. It was Sunday, but Monday was a training day, so I had to come in. So the way it worked, if you had Sunday off, you had a Monday training day. If you had Friday, if you had Friday and Saturday off, Friday was a training day. You know, very rarely did you have you know um, a whole weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came in that Monday and I just didn't feel good. And I was like, okay, I need to um, um, I need to go to the doctor. Uh, so I went to the doctor. And they took my blood pressure, and my bottom number was 110. Wow. And the doctor says, you're going right to the emergency room. Mm. And I was like, okay. Um, so I went to the emergency room, and um, I had preeclampsia. And um, mm. 
Uh, do you know what preeclampsia no, is? No, I do not. So it's when in pregnancy your blood pressure gets so high that you're at risk. Oh. Um, so they, you know, they put me on some meds and stuff like that, and they tried to induce labor for four days. Four days oh, they wow. tried to induce labor. And so they put you on a potassium drip, and you have contractions. So I have mm-hmm. contractions for four days. They'd mm-hmm. wheel me down at 6 a.m. at, you know, 5 p.m. when the baby hadn't been born. They'd wheel me back up, and we'd start all over the next day. So it's like, I mean, almost a week worth of contractions. Right. Um, and not at any point did they say, let's uh, do a C-section? Well, we're going to get to okay. that. Go so, um, so, uh, during this, during this, like the second day, that same person who was my boss, she called the hospital and wanted in the hospital bed I was in, the room I was in, and said, um, when are you coming back to work? <laughs> wow. Not how Serious? are you doing? Not are you okay? But mm. when are you coming back to work? That's crazy. And I was like, I just handed the phone um, to, you know, who my husband was at the time. And he basically screamed, yelled at her and hung up. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> So my sister, um, her birthday was on that fourth day of induction. And um, she said, hey, if you're going to give me a birthday present this year, I just have the baby on my birthday. <laughs> so I asked the doctor, I said, hey, you know, can we have the birthday today? If, we're gonna do, if there's any chance at all we're going to do C-section, we need to have it today. Uh-huh. And um, they said, um, they said, no, no, we're not going to do a C-section. We're going to get through this. And I said, okay. And I told her, I said, I'm sorry. You know, we're not going to be able to have it on your birthday. <laughs> um, so the next day uh, was a Sunday. And um and, you know, I go in and same thing, 6 a.m. They roll me down, put me on the potassium, you know, the, the, the potosin drip, the potosin drip, not potassium. Potosin. Yeah, you yeah, said potassium, potassium a couple of times. I was like, sorry. she means potosin. potosin. I did, I did make potosin. <laughs> I'm thinking about bananas right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they put me on the potosin drip and um, they, uh, you know, started and, <clears throat> and then, you know, the nurses are talking and stuff and um, they called the doctor in on a Sunday and, uh, and it was, I think it was probably about 4.30, the doctor came in and they said, um, you know, we're having some issues. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, the heart rate, the fetal heart rate's gone down. Mm. And they're like, we're going to have to take him by, by you know, through C-section. And um, I can say that was 4.30. Um, he was born by 5.15. Oh, wow. I mean, because it was, they were that scared. Mm. And when they um, cut me open and... um you know, they, 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 I watched, you know, cause they have the sheet like there. So you can't see yeah. everything, you mm-hmm. know? Yep. And I, but I can see them pick him up and I can see him, them take him over there and he's mm-hmm. not crying. Mm. And I'm looking over and I'm watching them work on him, watching them work on him. And, um, the pediatrician, because it was a, an emergency C-section pediatrician has to be there. And the pediatrician walked over and, and held him up to me and says, this is your son. As you can tell, he's not breathing. We have to take him. And they walked out of the room and, the next thing I know is I'm like, I don't feel good. I'm starting to feel lightheaded. And um, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was hemorrhaging. Mm. And um, it took them almost 30 minutes to stop the bleeding. Um, there was blood everywhere. And when they finally got me somewhat stable, um, the next thing I saw was them wheeling Edward in, tubes just all over him. And he's, um, you know, and they, they take him and they say, um, he's in the, in- the incubator and it's the flight crew. Mm. And they say, we wanted you to see him before we take him. And they left in the trauma hawk. Wow. Oh, wow. And um, he got, you know, they took him to the hospital. Uh, I mean, they flew him to uh, Holmes Regional. And um, they, uh, they, the next morning, the doctor called me and was telling me everything was wrong with him. And basically, he had an enlarged heart. They said his heart was the size of about a five-year-old's. Mm. The PDA, which is when they're in utero, um, your heart beats for theirs. And in, when they 
are born, their PDA closes. His didn't close. So he still had a hole in his heart. Mm. He had a shunt valve that wasn't working. Um, and so every time his heart was beating, it was filling his lungs with blood. Wow. Both lungs were collapsed. And uh, we were, I was talking to the doctor when, when she was telling me everything was wrong with him. And I said, um, is he going to make it? And she said, well, we don't like to talk about that. And, mm-hmm. you know, me being me, always, you know, very strategic. I said, have you seen a child in his condition make it before? And she said, no, I have not. Mm-hmm. But then she goes, but I've never seen a child this big in this condition. Because okay. he was five pounds, 10 ounces. Oh, wow. So she's like, you know, the fact that he's so big, there's a good chance here. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The next day, um, you know, they, they want to hold you for 48 hours after C-section. So the next day, the nurse came in and said, you know, you're still not taking your pain stuff. I said, I don't believe in pain medications. And she says, if we don't get your blood pressure down, you can't get out of here. Mm. And I was like, you know, I'd always been brought up, you don't drink, you don't do drugs. Yes, I did drink a couple times at the party, and I felt really <laughs> about that. <laughs> but definitely, I don't believe in pain medications, like, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, so she came in, she, and she just hit it for me. And she kept hitting it. Every time she was allowed, she'd come in and hit it. You know, because I think it was every two hours you could hit the the, 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 the pump. Mm-hmm. And um, and then she had my blood pressure down. I mean, I was pretty out of it, but she had my blood pressure down. So when the doctor came in, um, my doctor's like, you know, I can't discharge you. And, and, and I said, you know, I talked to his doctor. They're not sure he's going to make it. Mm. And um, so she discharged me under 24 hours after a C-section where I was hemorrhaging. Wow. And my mom drew me right up there to see him. And uh, he was hooked up to everything, fully intubated. I mean, you've seen because you had some mm-hmm. neonates. Mm-hmm. He was the biggest baby in there. He was twice the size of anybody else. Really? Yeah. But he had so much. I mean, you know, his, his, his lungs, every time the machine would s- deflate, his lungs would just look like they would collapse. And then, it, you know, it'd breathe for him and it'd go back up and stuff. Um, I, I mean... And they, you know, they had the arterial hookup because they were doing blood gases on him every 30 minutes. You know, they had just so many things um, were going on with him. So while that was going on, um, my, he's my ex-husband now, but he came to me and said his best friend had just died from an overdose in Chicago. Mm. And he said he was going to go up there. Mm. Really? Yes. So he flew up there. And while he was up there, he slept with her. While his son is in the hospital, whether Mm. not sure he's going to make it, he's up there sleeping around. With, but with who? The widow. With the widow. Okay, because I know you said her. I'm like, who's yeah, her? The widow of his best friend. Oh. That's the person he was. Okay. Mm. So, um, so anyways, <clears throat> we had a rough time. <laughs> came home on oxygen. <laughs> was getting medicines every two hours to keep him breathing. Um, and it was, you know, a lot of the medicines they give you when you're breathing are basically stimulants, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so, <laughs> didn't sleep. Mm. Matter of fact, I don't think probably almost four before he slept four hours back to back. Wow. Everything else was, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but would sit back in his bedroom in our bedroom. And while I was holding, giving him medicine, he's like, can't you just shut him up? I mean, just a nasty person. Um, so I'm, he, the night that we were, um, the night that it was, I was like, okay, it's done. Um, I had, I had to go in at midnight supposed to be home to watch i had to go and work a midnight shift and um he was still at the bar mm. and he called me i had to be in there at 11 and he calls me at like 10 and says that um he didn't want to come home mm. um he didn't understand why he's got to watch him um 
you know, and then was just giving me heck. And then he started talking about how he's found somebody that can watch our son. And I said, where did you find a babysitter for our son? I mean, cause again, he's on all these meds. He's still on oxygen. Mm-hmm. And it, it was the person at the bar with him. And I said, <laughs> I said, what? I said, what makes you think that that person, oh, well, her children are sick too. And I said, well, who's watching her kids while yeah. she's at the bar drinking? Right. And, and why would she want to watch my kid if she's not even watching her own kids? Exactly. But he didn't, he couldn't put two and two together. So I, I went ahead and I called my uh, sister to say, hey, can you watch him while I go into work tonight? And I went to um, leave and he pulled in behind my car and rammed it so I couldn't pull out. Ugh. So then I was trying to maneuver the car where I can get away from him and stuff. And he tried to bust the window Mm. where my son was. Mm. And that was it. Mm. That was it. I drove, I drove my son to, uh, you know, my sisters to watch him. And I said, if he shows up, you call 911. Mm -hmm. I went into work and worked till they let me go at 630 in the morning Mm. because they knew I had had a rough night. Um, So I left a little early and I went home and he was in the shower and I had a butcher knife, and I said, you get out of my house right now, because if you don't, I will kill you. Mm. And he looked at me, and he knew I wasn't joking. Mm-hmm. And I said, get get now. And he got his stuff. I said, anything you leave behind, I'll bring over to your mother's. I said, but you just leave. Yeah. Um, I That was the final straw. Mm. Um, you know, I wasn't, he, he, I think it was six months pregnant when he, um, he threw me up against a wall. I beat the tar fire out of him. He yeah. called the cops on me. He crawled to the phone and called the cops on me. <laughs> they must have been like, hey, wait, really, you dude? called on her? <laughs> She's six months pregnant? <laughs> well, they, they were like, hey, one of you is going to have to leave for the night. I said, I bought this house before I married him because mm-hmm. my dad made sure that I knew that, you know, you buy it before you marry him because otherwise it's joint property. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I, I looked at him and I said, I bought this house before I married him. I'm six months pregnant. I'm not leaving. And um, so, so it was a pretty rough um marriage but when it came to my son i'm not i wasn't going to tolerate that yeah you're not going to interfere with him let me ask you this um this is an interesting thing when when you told your parents that you were going to marry this individual what was their reaction so i i I don't you know my 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 parents have always been supportive Mm -hmm. so i don't think they liked him but they were still there to support me okay yeah. and there was like any reservations that they have because i'm very opinionated when it comes to yeah. my kids and the, so no again my parents have always been really supportive and okay. you know and, and i don't I, I don't think they liked him at all mm. but um you know they they thought it was my decision and they let me do it and okay. you know that's but my dad saying you shouldn't have been unevenly yoked that mm. said it all yes mm-hmm. yeah that was now to segue into more uh, uh, transition past that, so you you got out of this relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're working for the police department. Um, I'm gonna take that over again. So I, I realized. So I'll segue in for you. Oh, okay. Um, so I realized I couldn't do shift work and be a single parent. Mm-hmm. So I um I, I I transferred into a job reading meters, electrical water meters. Mm-hmm. Love that job. I know this story. (laughs) I got to see, I mean, I just got to basically, because, you know, to have a job where you don't have to bring it home and think about it. Yeah. It was amazing. You got to walk around 
all day. I got to pet all the most amazing dogs. <laughs> I mean, it was just a great job. And we have to put that out there that you are a huge oh, um, animal animals. lover. Absolutely. So this was like the dream job it when it came to amazing. that. Yeah. <laughs> it was just amazing to be able to do that. You know, in, in my, um, the way it worked is you had a route to read and if you got done with your route, and then you got done with the upkeep on your routes. Like, let's say maybe it's a five mile route. As long as I read all the meters and then I go, I dig out any water meters that are covered in dirt and stuff. The the rest of the time would be my time. Mm. Um, so I'd asked uh, my boss, you know, if once I do everything that you've asked me to do, um, can I study? Because I knew I need to go back and get my degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uh, he said, yeah, you know, you can study um, and do some of your schoolwork. So I was able to do that. And he always made sure he had additional work for me because, you know, then, of course, I'm motivated to to get done early. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I and so he always had extra readings that maybe, you know, they he, he was a, he, he this is how he talked. Oh, they couldn't get in there yesterday, so you're going to need to read that meter for them. That's how he'd do it. <laughs> so he'd always have a list of cards for me for these people who hadn't. That, you know, usually it was because of a dog and he knew mm-hmm. I, I didn't care. He's all like, oh, that's Ralph. I'll go see Ralph, you know, and stuff. <laughs> so I, you knew that. the animals by name. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Funny. Yeah. So we, so I, I, he'd always have additional work for me. Yeah. Um, and I, and I go do it, but it allowed me to, you know, get the time to finish up my, my AS degree, um, you know, and, and stuff. And, and then I also had to have a couple part-time jobs. I took a, a significant pay cut. I think I was making about 14,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And, um, we are reading meters. Reading meters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it went a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, um, you know, but we did, you know, I, I did a lot of part-time jobs. I was mowing yards. I was, uh, you know, waitressing. I was cleaning homes. I did mm-hmm. anything I could to get money. Bleep the name out. <laughs> I mean, his medicine, his medicine, it was very expensive. Insurance didn't, you know, yeah. insurance pays this, but they weren't paying all of it. Yeah. And, and when you're on all those medicines and all those doctor visits, there's co-pays. And, and when I brought him home, I was $30,000 in debt. Just mm. from that was my 10% was $30,000 wow. after insurance. So I, you know, that to, I did a lot to pay off the bills. And there was no help from the father. Oh no, no, no. no. And I, like I say, I assumed all the debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I assumed everything. So my parents would um, help me out, um, you know, with this, especially with his medicines and stuff. My, I, again, I just have amazing parents. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then what, what, um, you're working mm-hmm. at these different jobs and you're going to school at the same time. Mm-hmm. What was your objective schooling wise? So my objective has always been able to, especially back then, make enough money to support my child. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was it, it, I, you know, I, I like to learn. I mean, like, you know, I like to learn. Don't get me wrong. I, I like to learn, but, um, I, it was all about, my goal is to be able to support my son. Mm-hmm. And I knew I needed a bachelor's degree to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that was the whole, it wasn't like a goal for me. It was a goal for if I'm going to be able to do this for him, here's where I need to be. And, yeah. I, and that's, that's what I shot for. And that's where, you know, I went. So you earned your bachelor's degree and then what, what happened at that point? Cause you knew you had to get that to make the money you needed. So what were you doing? Then? So right after I got my bachelor's degree is industrial organizational psychology, um, which is the empirical side, like the human resources, thinking about training development and how things work and inner, you know, interrelations between workplace and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but in Vero beach, there's not a, Vero beach. There's not a whole lot of opportunities to do that. So mm-hmm. I applied for a job at the hospital 
Um, and I applied for an HR job and they actually hired me to work at the psych hospital. Mm. And I remember the HR manager says, you know, well, I, I really based upon your degree and stuff, I want to put you over here. And I'm like, that's not the job I applied for. <laughs> and, um, they're like, well, what do you mean? You have a degree in psychology. I said, I have a degree in industrial organizational psychology. And he's like, well, what is that? I said, it's basically your job. I mean, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> of course, that didn't, that didn't make him happy. No. Um, <laughs> but so I got to work at the psych hospital for a while. And, you know, that was a great experience. Mm. I mean, I got to tell you, that was that was, that was probably um, the moment. Because, so, you know, you have paradigms in your life, right? Yeah. People shape you, your family, mm-hmm. your friends, where you work, it shapes you. And, you know, the, the police department, you know, you looked at people differently. Um, yeah, I'm not saying that they all looked at people badly, but you have a different perspective. Everybody. What, what, what do you mean by that? Tell us, uh, tell us specifically. So no one's happy to see law enforcement arrive. Yeah. Right. I mean, firefighting, they're there to rescue you, save you. Everybody's happy to see them. Police, that's not what it is. Mm-hmm. You're there because you're a victim of a crime mm-hmm. or you're the person that perpetrated the crime or you're just having probably the worst day of your whole life. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that that's why. That's why law enforcement, that's what they do. I mean, it, it is a thankless job <clears throat> yeah. and people aren't so, Oh, the police are here. Yay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, so it's very, they, they get a bad rap. They don't mm-hmm. get a whole lot of, they don't get me wrong. Some of them are bad. There's right. bad people in every profession. Yeah, and and I don't believe in the racists and all that stuff that, you know, the negative stuff that you see on TV, those aren't, they do not represent the majority of law enforcement. Yeah. Okay. But any, any, any bad situation is really perpetrated by 1%. Mm-hmm. Of everybody yeah, involved, but, but in law enforcement, usually the one percent's all you see. That's okay. all, so you, all see. you see. Is the bad. Yeah. All you see. So they they um. So you, but so you have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So when I worked at the psych hospital, you know, my perspective of people who are homeless. Well, you know, they're they choose that. Yeah, they're drug addicts. Before um, you started, right? Mm-hmm. But once I started working there, I realized that mental health is not a choice depression is not something you can say, go to a movie and it gets better. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we had people who would come in that were catatonic from Mm -hmm. depression. Mm -hmm. And once we got them at a therapeutic level at medicine, they were different people. So it was an eye opening experience, Mm -hmm. probably one of the most enlightening times in my life because it gave me an ability to kind of look at things differently and see how, um, you know, really kind of look at people and be able to identify, you know, characteristics that I can help modify, mm-hmm. characteristics that maybe I can't modify, but I can talk around. Um, I can work with people in a different way. I mean, like mm. um, Jesse knows. I mean, you know, you can be screaming and yelling at me. I'm pretty sure I can redirect you. You know, yeah. when I'm at work, I'm going to redirect you, and I'm going to get you where I need you to be. Now, outside <laughs> of work, I may not take it, yeah. but at work, I'm going to redirect you because I identify that. You know, there's. Um, um, there's more to it than what I know. And, yeah. and that I really learned that at the, um, the psych hospital. And let me tell you, anytime somebody's, you know, going through something, we need to step back and look and say, okay, what's really going on? Yeah. Mm. So this is a really great, um, story because I feel like your, your work in the psych hospital really sort of like, um, it, this is my, my perspective of this is that it really shaped you into this person who, had the has the presence of mind to really like you have an, a higher level of emotional intelligence i wasn't trying to bring leadership stuff into it but you really do and social intelligence social awareness and not a lot of people have that they don't they they do in certain situations but i think that you have it 
uh, across the board unequivocally like it's just and my question to that is is, is that cuz I'm when cuz that's a really really good point uh, to have that level of um social and social and emotional understanding mm-hmm. but one of the things that struck me was the statement that you made that before you started working there even after going through school you had a certain perception of those types of people mm-hmm. but the experience of it all changed your mind so do you attribute your that that, that level of awareness on social and emotional um, competencies to your schooling or to the experience of people and being around people or is it a combination of the two of them so um so first let me kind of just clarify so I, I think in general um you know like when i said you know with homeless people i had a different perspective um i always had empathy mm-hmm. for them um but i didn't have an understanding and mm-hmm. you know and i've never been homeless so i i still don't have a true understanding but what I saw in the people I worked with at the psych hospital helped me, you know, kind of have a different perspective and understanding than most people do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when someone is, has a mental illness, um, it's not, Oh, you know what? I'm going to go watch a movie and I'm fine. Or, you know what? I'll take a walk and I'm fine. Mm-hmm. We had people, I mean, highly educated people, mm-hmm. um, very, competent, very successful people who would come in from, you know, were bipolar or, you know, in a manic state or a depressed state, or they were, uh, we even had schizophrenics and those are very interesting. Um, Mm. But they would come in and, you know, in, in part of, you know, I I did a lot of different things at the hospital, but one of the things I did at the psych hospital was partial hospital as a facilitator for the partial hospital um, program, which is, kind of like an outpatient program where they're not inpatient anymore. They go home, but every morning at eight, they come to us and they leave every day at three. So they're Mm. still with us. And, Mm. and, you know, and and we would do things like, um, I would help them come up with, um, um, you know, daily activities and, you know, and, and I could do, I can do psychoeducation. I'm not a therapist. I'm Mm -hmm. not a psychologist. So I can't do groups. I can't do, you know, stuff like that. But I do a psychoeducation, which means I'm talking to you about coping skills. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about coming up with a plan, Um, you know, and things like that. And we had this one lady and, uh, you know, this is probably one of the the biggest warning points is she was crying and I was just like, okay, what's going on? What's going on today? And she goes, the laundry. And I said, okay, what's going on with the laundry? She goes, I just can't do it. It's too much. Mm. It's too hard. You know, and and what do we do? Laundry, go throw it in there, wash it, dry it, fold it, right? Get her done. And it was an overwhelming task Mm -hmm. for her to think about laundry and of course when you don't do laundry what happens you get more of it you get more of it mm-hmm. yeah so what we came up with was a plan and the plan literally was i want you to take one clothes hamper one i want you to put clothes in it and then i want you to put it in the washer yeah and then when you're done with the washer i want you to put it in the dryer and that's all i want you to do today i said that's it mm-hmm. and and she just started crying and i said listen this this is our plan today i want you to go home you know, and I said, do you have that little basket or that hamper? And she goes, yeah. I said, what's it look like? She goes, it's white. And I said, okay, so you're going to go home and you're going to grab that white one, that mm-hmm. white, you know, hamper. And you're, gonna put, you're not going to put a whole lot. I want you to just feel it, you know, don't overfill it. And just put it in the wash. And then I want you to put a little soap in there. And I wrote this out as a plan for her. And while I'm doing it, I'm like, I just can't imagine being so overwhelmed by laundry 
but her pain was so real mm-hmm. that my heart was breaking for her that I, I, you know, and, and I knew better than to say, I'll just come do it for you. Cause you, you can't get a meshed in the lives of your patients, but you're also, you don't want to, you know, that whole, I don't want to give you a fish and feed you for a day. Mm-hmm. I want to teach you to fish and feed you for a lifetime. Yeah. And you know, and, they have to be able to achieve those successes. They have to feel that feeling. So the next day when she came in, I said, okay, so tell me how it went. And she goes, it's in the dryer. And she kind of, she kind of like got a little quirky smile. I said, I am so proud of you. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something that, you know, we look at, and we're like, oh really? Why would you be proud? But I got to tell you the feelings, the emotions I had for her achieving that mm-hmm. were just beyond anything I had felt with helping other people because she was so overwhelmed by that one task and it wasn't me that did it. Yeah. It was all her. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she could do it just made me so happy for her and so proud of her. And we did that. That's what we did all week. Her plan literally was <coughs> the clothes are in the dryer. You're just going to fluff them for 20 minutes when you get home tonight. And I want you to fold them. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, some of them are hangables. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. Who cares about a few wrinkles? Just fold them. Now, let me ask you this. Cause you know, there's a certain, um, there's always like polar, this uh, polar opposites, uh, perceptions of situations like that, and there's people that would say, "Well, you're just cuddling this person. You're, you're coddling, yeah. coddling mm-hmm. this." I mean, this is this is a reality of 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 those people uh, have mm-hmm. never worked with someone like that. Those yeah. people don't have an understanding because that that and, that and that's what I'm trying to say is that mm-hmm. used to be me. Mm. Mm. Prior to working at psych hospital, that mm-hmm. was me. Just get out of bed and do your job. Yeah. Just right. go do the laundry. When you actually get in there and you work with them and you have an understanding, you see it's not a choice. Yeah, It's not, oh, I, I'm going to make myself feel better today. There, there was not a choice for her. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to come in and just feel so defeated by laundry. That was a mental illness yeah so uh, so let me i'm I'm playing the devil's advocate because this is a a point of contention with a lot of people that have never experienced working in that environment and maybe have never experienced a depression or or even to that extent a lot of people haven't really experienced failure or 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 harsh really true hardships in their lives Mm -hmm. that will say oh that person is just they're just not trying no one wants to feel that way. Nobody wants no to. One. No one. And yes. when people say that, well, you know, they're just not trying stuff like that. No one wants to have those feelings. Mm-hmm. And when you see the look in their eyes and you truly open up your heart and you can feel, I, and I'm not saying I can actually feel what they're saying, but you can start to empathize with what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Then you learn. How does an average person arrive at that empathy point? Um, some people will never get there. Some people will never get there. Some people are, care about themselves. Mm-hmm. Some people don't see that other people have value. Some people will never, ever get there. And some people will. Mm. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, with my background of being raised in, in the church and stuff, you'd think that I'd been the most caring person in the world. And I'm not saying mm. I wasn't. I was always, you know, you need to be a servant, go out and help people, you know, volunteered, all that stuff. That was always me. But what I was doing on the outside until I worked at a psych hospital, it wasn't, I I didn't have that ability to truly understand and feel it. And from working there, I could feel it. Yeah. That was probably, you know, because my, for the, then I had like seven years where I worked with at risk families. And I got to tell you, 
it drained me every day because mm. I had so much empathy for them. I would go home and I would just, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore, you know, because it is so draining feeling what they're feeling. And what I'm feeling is still nothing compared to what they're feeling, but mm-hmm. just a little bit of what they're feeling was so draining. Yeah. I'm like, I can't do this. So let me, that's a very good point because um, <clears throat> that's, that symptom is called, or that diagnosis is called compassion fatigue. How were you able to deal deal with that? Because that's uh, for every anyone working in the human services field, uh, cops feel the same way too. I mean, just giving to other people in in a, in a civil servants, you feel that compassion fatigue. How were you able to cope with it and and be able to uh, continue to live a? I wasn't. No, you weren't. Okay. No, I, it's why I don't do that anymore. Mm. You know, it's funny because that's the direction that you know if if you believe in a higher being and stuff, you always think they have a plan for you. Mm-hmm. And I really think that was God's plan for me to work as that person who's helping people and, you know, and being there for people. And 2004 hurricanes came around (coughs) and I was working um, after the hurricane with, you know, my caseload quadrupled Mm. after the hurricanes and everybody was suffering. Every pregnant woman I worked with, every family member I worked with, they were all suffering and I was just not dealing with it well. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and, my boss at the time came in and said, Hey, you were amazing during the hurricanes. Cause they gave me a role as logistics section chief. And they said, um, she said, I want to start sending you to trainings. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I decided to get my master's in. And, um, you know, and I, I remember having a conversation because when I went, decided to get my master's in it, as you know, it, God made it very clear. Mm-hmm. That's not what he wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to help people. At least in my mind. God doesn't mm-hmm. talk to me. I don't think God <laughs> talks to me. But in my mind, every time I would try and go down that path, I would get pulled back into the mm-hmm. other direction. Uh-huh. And um, and I remember just sitting in my car and just so upset because I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot mm. do this anymore. You know, just, just having to go into a home and, you know, ask another pregnant woman, how are you doing? When I know she's only got another night to stay in her family's home because they're <coughs> kicking her out. She's got nowhere to go. Mm. And yeah. she's like, I got nowhere to go. She goes, I don't have a job there because there weren't any jobs. There's no housing. There's no nothing. And she would be crying. And I'd say, so have you taken your prenatal vitamins? Because that's mm, all I could do. There yeah. were no resources, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, but my heart was breaking for her and her family and the, you know, and the baby and stuff. And it was, so it was just killing me. So I remember sitting in my car and just saying, God, let me take this other path. And when you send people my way, I will always help them. Mm-hmm. I said, doesn't matter. Whenever you send them my way, I'll help them. But just let me do something different. And it was a week later when I got a call and they were going to, um, a position, they were going to create a position for me in public health preparedness at the health department. Um, and I, I, I was in that position less than a day and I was at Walmart and this lady just comes up while I'm looking at cards and she just starts crying. Mm. And I said, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> I looked up and I talked to her and she had just been evicted. She didn't know she's gonna do with her kids. She didn't have food. I mean, I'm looking at cards at Walmart. Yeah. So there's no way yeah. it was, you know, I mean, who walks up and starts telling her somebody this, you know, unless mm-hmm. so and I so I'm like, okay, let's you know, and I got a sheet of paper because I had paper in my purse. I wrote it out, here's you know, here's where you can get services, these can help you here, da da da. Here's my cell phone, you call me, da 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 da. And um, you know, we did that and uh, you know, and she was able to find a place to stay, you know, and, and stuff. So, but that to this day, he still sends people. Cause there's times my husband, 
used to think, why don't people always come up to you and tell you their life story? And I'm like, it's a deal I made. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it doesn't matter where I'm at. I've had people come up to restaurants. Mm-hmm. I've had, you know, um, I've been on it. When I was on several dates with my husband, people would come <coughs> up and just be like, yeah. hey, you know, I, 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 I lost this and, you know, and I can't pay my bills and stuff. And Joe's like, what are they talking to you about that yeah. for? And, mm. um, but it was a deal I made. Again, let me ask another question because I'm I'm putting myself in in a different point of view from um the people th- thinking wise. I, I I sympathize with you. I mean, it's just like the same thing with me and kids. You know, Jesse calls me the teenage whisperer for some reason, it's right? True. It's true. It's, it's so but true. A kid relates to another kid, so that's <laughs> that's the way I look true. at it, right? So mm-hmm. that's why I'm mm-hmm. able to understand teens so well, but. There's a segment of again of of humanity that feels that that some people take advantage of kindness, and some people are, you know, they they. So you always have people who will take advantage. Mm-hmm. You'll always have people that break rules. You'll always have people that break the law. You'll always have people that do bad things. So does that mean I do nothing good? So that will be that will be my question mm-hmm. because some people will say I'm not going to help anyone. I'm just going to forget it. I'm just, I'm done. What would you say to those people? Because again, we all, we have all established that life is sorrowful. It, it's it's so, hard. It's difficult. So everybody makes their own decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of it is about how you were brought up. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, my mom, I'm telling you, it all goes back to the most amazing woman in the whole world. And she is, she never had, she, I'd never heard my mom say a negative thing about anybody or anyone. Mm. I've never, she's never been mean to anybody. (coughs) And just to see if you can have that kind of love in your life, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not anywhere near what my mom was. Mm. I mean, I I wish I could be a third of the person my mom was, Mm -hmm. is, you Mm -hmm. know, but I'll, I'll never be able to have that kind of love and compassion. I'm, I'm too hardened of a person. I know you guys, you might be thinking, oh, you know, you don't sound like a hardened person. I am. Trust me, I'm a hardened person. What, 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 what? Because this is very key. I yeah. mean, because you become very cynical Yep. So at a certain point. The, yep, so what I always did with the families I worked with is I would sit down. I can't help you unless you want to help yourself. Mm-hmm. So I'd have that conversation with them. You know, where do you want to be? Let's establish some goals. And then we come up with a plan. And I would come back the next week. Okay, where are you at on your plan? And they hadn't done anything on their plan. I said, okay, let's talk about what the barriers would be for you achieving this. Mm-hmm. Did you not get a ride to go look for a job? Oh, no, I had a ride. Okay. Did you not have the time? Maybe you had to pick the kids up. No, I just didn't feel like doing it. Okay, mm. so why didn't you feel like doing it? And identify, is it depression? Is it something else? And if there's absolutely no reason for them not to achieve that goal, I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's come up with a plan for this week. And we talk about the plans again. And we develop that plan. And if I came back the next week, they still hadn't done it. I'd be like, okay, here's where we're at. I can't help you unless you want to help yourself. When you're ready, I'm going to be there for you. But until then, you dying? I don't know. (laughs) This is good. This is really good stuff. Yeah, but it's making him choke. It's so good. He needs some water here. I have water. I've been drinking water. Maybe you need a little whiskey. No, I don't really. I don't drink (laughs) like that. He needs a cough drop. (laughs) He doesn't. No. Whiskey? Oh, no. no. Yeah. But go ahead. But this, yeah. this is no, really good. I would say, you know, when you're ready, I'm mm-hmm. going to be there for you. Mm-hmm. But until you're ready, I can't help you. Because yeah. people have to be ready to make that step. People mm-hmm. have to be ready to go forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't stop supporting them. 
and I'm not talking about financially, but I'm talking about emotionally, you know, <coughs> you don't stop, you know, but people have to help themselves cause you yeah. can't, you can't do it for them. Mm-hmm. I can't, um, I don't believe in anything for free cause I was never given anything for free, mm-hmm. but I believe everybody should be given the same opportunity mm-hmm. and we're not all given the same opportunities. Not everybody had a mom like mine. Yeah. I mean, not everybody had, you know, a, a family that was so supportive. Even when I made bad decisions, mm-hmm. you know, they were supportive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, I know how lucky I've had it. Mm-hmm. And I know that who I am is shaped not only by the jobs I've had, the education I have, but it's really shaped by, again, my mom's always in the back of my head. Don't you be disrespectful. No. Don't you be ugly. No. You need to say a kind word or don't say anything at all. I mean, those no. are all the things going through my mind. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not everyone is going to be able to make that leap to, I can support you emotionally and I can help you get there, but you need to do it yourself. Some people are always going to be, I call them the haters. Mm -hmm. You know, some people are always going to be there. Some people (coughs) are always going to be negative. Some Mm -hmm. people are always going to just, um, you know, not get where they need to be. Um, But, you know, you really look at, are you standing in your own way? Yeah. I was, I have been very fortunate um, with my jobs because I'm a hard worker. Um, You know, and, and, and I'm not saying that, I always made what I should for the amount of work I did, but I did get promotions and I, I'm in a great position now, um, you know, in my life, but it's all because of how hard I worked. And, you know, and I, I remember, um, when I worked for the state, I would have people say, well, why did you get that job? Mm. And I would look at them and I'd say, okay, well, let's, let's have that conversation. Yeah. You know, um, the last three Saturdays we've had outreach clinics at different parks did you go to any of those? No, they weren't paying me. I'm not going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I said, I went to everyone and volunteered. Yeah. I said, you know, at night, I went to school and got my master's. Are you doing that? Mm-hmm. No. Okay, that's another thing. Mm-hmm. You know, when they ask for volunteers to come set up when they're having events, you know, and doing other things, have you done any of those? No. Yeah. Well, you know, those are things that I did, you know, and, 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 and I would look at them and I said, it's not because I'm better than you because that's not it. It's because they saw me doing stuff that you weren't doing. Yeah. And I, you know, and I would always talk to them. Okay. Where do you want to be? You know, and these are, you know, where do you want to be in five years, 10 years? Cause you got to, no one's just going to say, Hey, you know what? I really like you. I think I'm going to give you a million dollars. That doesn't happen all the time. No. If you want to be somewhere, think about how you're going to get there. Goal setting. It's about having that. And, and I think that's <coughs> sort of something like how, that's how you live your at least the Joan that I know, that's how you live your life. You know what I mean? Like, uh, how uh, am I going to accomplish this? Yeah, I, I focus on, especially at work, I focus on um, where do I want to be? What do I want to do? And again, it's not always, I don't get everything I want at mm-hmm. work, but I'm able to do the jobs that I take, which I'm comfortable with. You know, I'm, I'm, I like that. You know, if, if I, I, if I get that job, then I want to know I can do it. And then I'm happy when I do it, but it's all based upon why do I need that job? And it always comes back to my son. Right. Always comes back to, you know, you know, why did I go get my AS, my bachelor's, my master's, you know, why am I working on my doctorate? You know, and the reality is, you know, I'm, I'm going to be dead and you know, I'm 51. I'll be dead in 34 years, 35 years. So what I'm doing now is still about how can I have, (coughs) a positive impact on him after I leave. And that's, you know, that's, you know, the build up his inheritance, not again, he's not getting millions, but 
know. It's getting okay. something. Getting something. Getting something. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> that's a very good point. When we had a, we had an episode on on the understanding of uh, you can't set goals unless you understand your basic needs and your and your values. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's evident that your value is uh, to provide for your son. Um, but I, I'm, I always tell people that I'm very selfish because you can't have a goal. Um, I, yes, you want to take care of your son, but what about for you? Like, what's what's in it for you in the things that you have done up to this point? Yeah, because so, there's been yeah. so much, and and it doesn't have to be financial or physical. But what 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 do you get out of doing all these things that you I have done? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think I don't want to think anything really is about me because it's i don't think it's about me i mean do do you ever think i think it's about me no but i I think there's a there's a misconception about um, you mean like why like the satisfaction yeah because there's there's a drive something out of it yeah so what so what i do now is i'm a, a teacher um you know and the satisfaction I get is really cool when students have their aha moments, right? Mm, aha, I love that. Yeah, and the reason it's so cool is because I can see them excited about something that I'm excited about, and mm. you know, and again, it's so. Like, what do you, can let me um, let me ask you this just so we can get what are because we went from <laughs> we took a big <laughs> jump. So you you earned your master's degree in uh, uh, public safety with a concentration in emergency management. Okay, and so. You, you worked hard, went to school at night, earned your master's degree, and now, presently, you're an, an instructor in higher education, right? Yeah, you know, I'm trying not to sound hoity-toity here, but... Well, uh, I, you're, it's, you're, it's something to be whatever, and now you, you have just become a doctoral student, which is amazing, and you're working on a degree in... Um, industrial organizational psychology, a okay. PhD in industrial organizational psychology. So, because I think you're personally like, I'm, I'm your uh, cheerleader. I'm, I'm like a fan of yours. So, but it's, in, you it's interesting that you say that. And, and one of the things that we do is I don't believe in comparisons because this is a soul's quest. Your quest is different than mine, different than hers. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something to be said about the persistence mm-hmm. to arrive, uh, to set up the opportunity to become a doctorate candidate. You know, and those things are important. It doesn't mean that that people should all strive to do that. You have to follow your own path, and it's obviously what you have done. So it's not hoity-toity. Um, it's that I think that it's important that that so, you have you have done that to to say those things that you set goals, you set standards, you set those values. But it's still defined by where I'm at. Mm. Um, so like that goal of getting my doctorate. Yeah, one time I can say I wanted to get my doctorate because I thought I needed to get it to be able to financially support my son. Because with my mm-hmm. master's degree, before I started working at the college, I mean, I was working 60, 70 hours a week with mm. a master's degree making $37,000 a year. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's not... That was a labor of love, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, Until it was done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed every minute of it, but, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of money. But now the structure I'm in at the college is... If you want to get promoted, you got to get that doctorate. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no work product, and that'll get you there. I mean, because I think I work as hard as the other faculty, but they've all got their doctorate, so they're getting all these promotions, and I yeah. see them, and I'm like, okay, that means I have to go back to school. And, and trust me, that was not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse, no, um, she did not. Yeah, <laughs> I still don't. Um, <laughs> but I know that if I want to get that promotion, that's what I, what I have to do. You mm-hmm. know, and I've had frank conversations with um, you know faculty. Some of them did not go get their doctorate, but because they're 
course loads are so much bigger than mine. They're making a lot more money than me. Mm -hmm. The program I teach in will never be that big. So if I want to get that promotion or make that more, you know, make additional money, then I have to get that. Mm -hmm. Not that I want to. So it's all based on quote unquote, the game that you're playing. It, it's, it's where, where do I want to be? And I want to make additional money so that I can, you know, be able to, um, the goal is I want to build a house so mm -hmm. that when I die, my son then inherits a really nice house. It's going to be worth a lot of money. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is where I need to be. I need to take step a, And then once I'm done with that, then I can apply, mm -hmm. you know, for the promotion. And then I can move from there to, you know, hopefully point B, point C that, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, you know, for him. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of uh, people that will. Who are all these people you keep talking about? There's a lot of people. Yeah. The planet is full I, of, I hate filled to with use how many billions of people? Seven billion. Okay. I hate to use pronouns because I think it's ridiculous, right? Because there's, there's. You know, there's a but there's a mentality. Let me just frame frame that. There's a, there's a certain mentality that look down on on on, on human service workers and people that focus on that particular um, arena because it doesn't pay a lot of money, um, because it truly is a labor of love, um, because it is geared to look at society uh, at the worst of society in a positive positive light. You know, and they will say, well, you, if you would have picked something else, then you would have been able to do... Well, I absolutely would have made a lot more money. A lot more money. If I'd have put my time and energy to a thousand other things, I'd have made a lot more mm. money. But why didn't you? Because I really... I still think that in some ways there's certain... there. God has a plan. Okay. You know, and his plan was always, I need to serve. And I have always served. And I will continue to serve. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just the way I was raised. And, um, you know, just the way I feel about it. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not even so much, yes, it's how you were raised, but it's also something that's just, uh, it's your makeup. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I don't see you as anything else. You know what I mean? And it's like. Yeah, I mean, you've seen me, I have literally been like enraged about something so mad. And then someone in need comes in and I'm like, what can I do to help you? What's mm -hmm. going on? Because mm -hmm. I'm picking up on it. I feel it. And I'm like, okay, this is what, you know. This Or is you can be super crazy busy and overwhelmed, which I've witnessed. And somebody, and you're offering to do something. And I'm like, no, no. we're just going to have food <laughs> delivered. You're not going anywhere, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's just your makeup. It's yeah. like your DNA. And, and the reason why I bring it up, it's, it's. Again, not no two no two quests are exactly the same. So let me take let me take you back. Mm -hmm. I want to take you back to your comment. Um, human services and the importance. So um and so again, my bachelor's degree is in industrial organizational psychology and I had the most amazing professor, Dr. Michael Newland. Mm. And I know I've told you guys this before, but he always had these little quirky, you know, little statements and stuff that he would say and it they always had an impact on me. And the the most important one, um, or the one I use most is that someone's Uh, work skills will never exceed their life skills. So That's you want, you want to know the impact that human services can have. Mm -hmm. You can build someone's life skills. And when you build their life skills, you're building their life. Mm -hmm. You're giving them an opportunity to move forward, to move beyond. So when I was doing that work, even though I wouldn't make any money, the only thing I kept thinking in the back of my mind is, you know, it's not what I'm going to do for you. It's what what I can provide an opportunity for you to do for yourself. Yeah. And because if I can build life skills within someone, then you know what? 
they can build work skills and they can continue to move on mm-hmm. and they can they can go from um, you know, different jobs where maybe they're not being fulfilled, maybe they're not making enough money and they can continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that and that is, I mean, really where I was in my life. And I, you know, I think I continue to build my life skills that continue to build my work skills that really help me get to where I'm at. Yeah. You know, I, I, if, if <coughs> I've applied for various jobs, um, you know, but I can think of in my lifetime, I've probably applied for 10 jobs and maybe not gotten two or three of them. Because mm. usually the jobs I apply for is because someone's called me and said, you need to apply. Yeah. And that was about a life skill I had that helped me build and help me meet and help me engage people. Mm-hmm. And that, that and provided me an opportunity. And because my life skills helped me engage people and helped me build those relationships, mm-hmm. I was able to get opportunities at jobs and prove that, okay, yeah, my work skills match that. Yeah. And, and, and continue to go further. So, so how does a person, just a layman, how do they build those life skills if they don't have the guidance that, um, or the trajectory of a, of a, of a good family, of, of good societal structures? <coughs> how can they build those, li- those life skills? Or can they build those life skills at yeah, so, all? So, I mean, based on talking to you two about what you guys are trying to do, you're working on curriculum to build life skills, which is Mm -hmm. life changing for people. Um, you know, the other side of that is look to see what it takes. You know, if, if I'm, if I'm a person that's angry all the time at work and I'm yelling at people and I keep getting fired because of that, or maybe I'm a person that's late for work. So I just don't want to go in. I don't like my job. You know, I have to think, okay, so what is the underlying issue here? Mm -hmm. And if the issue is, I just don't like my job so much. That's why I'm always late. Okay. Then how can I change that? So I can either improve you know, what I'm doing and apply for other jobs or the job I currently have, I can change my attitude for. Yeah. You can't do, you, you have to do one or the other because mm-hmm. if you continue to go to a job that you're just angry and hate and you're miserable, <clears throat> then you're only going to continue to get worse. So you yeah. have to change your mindset and say, you know what? It's not that bad, you know, or I can hang out here until I get another job, you mm-hmm. know, but I need to, I need to get a good reference from this job. So I need to make sure I'm doing a good job and come, come on time and do what I need to do. Um, and picking mm-hmm. where you want to be. Now, it, it, most people don't realize that uh, from your experience, if a person arrives at that point, I hate my job, but they don't do anything about it. And they just stay there complaining, making life miserable for themselves and other. That has a trickle down effect on every other aspect oh, of their lives. Yeah. Like, have you seen that in your, with your experience? I spent probably a year and a half in my car outside, just like, I don't want to go in today. <laughs> I just, I can't do another day of this. Cause the people who were running the show were lack of a better term idiots. Mm-hmm. And every decision they made had a negative consequence and everybody else. And they thought they were just all that in a bag of chips. Mm-hmm. And I would go out. Been there, done that. Yeah. But go ahead. <laughs> I mean, and you know, and I would arrive at work, you know, and just sit out in my car and say, I'm not going in. I can't do it. I can't go deal with these people again. And there's sometimes I'd call my husband or I'd call a friend and they'd be like, it's going to be okay. You got this, you know, mm-hmm. and give me a little encouragement. Um, but there's other days, you know, I, I didn't call anybody and I would go in and I'd just like, oh, I don't want to be here, you know, and, and I would be, I won't say ugly to people, but I wasn't my normal, charming, positive, happy self, you mm. know, and, and everybody like, well, why are you so, what, what's wrong? Are you okay? You're okay. And, you know, and the reality was I had to self-evaluate and say, I can't change it. Mm-hmm. 
You know, this is what's paying the bills. So I need to change the way I think about it and have to focus on what my job is. And I had to get away from what they were saying and what they were doing and how impacted, you know, cause the reality is I was actually doing pretty good at that job, mm-hmm. but the decisions they were making were really bad for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I had gotten a couple of raises. Um, actually I gave up a raise because I'm like, no, you know, you need to give raises to other people. Stop giving me a raise. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, in yourself a raise, cause that th- these three people <laughs> always gave themselves raises first. <laughs> Administrators. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. And I said, you need to stop giving them raises and give it to some of the people who are barely making ends meet, you know, and, and that just got me in more trouble. Um, but so I had to start saying, okay, I can't, I can't fix you, them. You weren't respecting authority then. I, I, I did get told that. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. She did get told. Yeah, wow, I did get told crazy. that. Yeah. Um, but, but I had to say, you know, I, I can't, what they decide and what they do is on them. Mm-hmm. And if they can't see how negative they're being, I can advocate for the other employees. And I would, I would, okay, you know, that's really wrong. Actually, that's, I'm going to help you file a grievance, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. But I cannot dwell on that. I can't continue to let that control and define me. And I had to start saying, okay, so what is my real job? Mm. Okay, my job is this. And when I do this well, it helps people. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do this well. Mm. And that's what I had to start focusing on was I want to do this well, not for me, not for those people in Mm -hmm. charge of me, but for the people who I'm serving in the community. (coughs) Yeah. So I had to refocus that until... You know, and at the same time, looking for other jobs and looking for, so when I look for a job, I always look to see what the skill set is. Oh, I don't have that skill set. How can I build that skill set? How can you build it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's how, and I picked a job I wanted and I built my skill sets out and, you know, and then I I got another job and then, Mm -hmm. and that job led actually to, um, someone at the college asking me to, um, adjunct and, um, you know, and eventually, uh, actually led to me working at the college. Mm -hmm. So full time. I met Joan as an adjunct. She was always like. I mean, I, I think I can say this when she was an adjunct instructor, this just goes to that fundamental, like that DNA that we're talking about of the, you just do things because you care. And you know, is that Joan would, um, teach classes for less pay. Mm-hmm. Um, cause uh, you know, w- the, the college will try to get instructors to, to make this class. If it only has six people in it, we can't pay full load. Mm-hmm. We need to pay less money. Will this instru- and adjunct instructors at this institution do not get paid very well? But that's a strategic move on her part. That's that's very strategic. Well, the fact that she did that yeah. is the reason that they were like, "Wow, she's like Joan is a dependable person, whatever." Exactly. But but I never thought because I didn't have my doctorate. Mm-hmm. I never thought I got adjunct of the year. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting next to the dean and the person who nominated me for adjunct of the hair department chair. Mm-hmm. And the department chair says, you should apply for the job we have, mm. the full-time. I said, I don't have my doctorate. And he goes, they're re-advertising without a doctorate. And mm. then I asked the dean about it. And the dean says, oh, yeah, no, you should apply. So, I mean, never in my wildest dreams did I think I had a chance. I was teaching the classes um, because I enjoyed working with students. I enjoyed, um, you know, and I did do, I did quite a few classes mm-hmm. for free, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. Um, you know, and, and like so, DISs. Yeah. 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 <coughs> yeah. So I never thought that would have led to a full-time job because I didn't have a doctor. That was never in the back of my mind yeah. at all. It. I mean, you know, the money that I did get, of course, you know, um, was nice. It was a little extra money, and I've always had, up until working full-time for the college, I've always had at least two or three jobs. I've always had full-time and then one, two, or three part-time jobs, mm-hmm. um, sometimes more. Yeah. Well, so. this is this kind of like leads into the perfect segue into our SKR reflection. Okay. 
and what our ski are reflection really is it's looking back at your, the trajectory of your quest you know from being pitched into the world <laughs> to where you are right now which is kind of like where we pitched ended up in. pitched in i like that he always says pitched in you're just thrown in you're well just, like you're a softball player you just take it and like throw them in <laughs> right but again it's like we don't get to choose who we're born into mm-hmm. we don't get to choose a lot we don't get to choose as much as people might pretend skewer i just realized that's what his shirt yeah, yeah that's okay. the branding trying to learn this <laughs> um like this. so <laughs> so we get pitched in into the world you know you you go through your, tra- your trajectory and there there's a couple of things that i really want to ask you specifically um about what has become known to you and that's what ski stands for it's a latin word meaning known and and our experiences teach us things so the first thing that i want to that i want to touch on and kind of like do a little reflection on it based on your experiences with your parents and being a parent now yourself what are the principles that have become known to you like what do you mean so, for instance, you mentioned the 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 aspect of respecting authority um, to do that, the, to being there for your family. What are those values, those things that you, to this day, you're still carrying on that was passed down to you to your family? I mean, respect, of course, is a big one, and then compassion. Compassion. I mean, you know, and and kindness, and and the ability to. It's not about me. You know, I'm 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 gonna write a book. Actually, I've been working on a book, and really, you know, yep, I didn't know for that. many years. And um, it it's entitled, uh, "Well, whose fault is it?" Because every time I had a conversation with an employer, every time I had a conversation with a player, every time I had a conversation with someone, they were like, "Well, that's not my fault." Well, whose fault is it then? Mm-hmm. And and I think one of the things that we have going on right now in this country is it's always somebody else's fault, mm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm so tired of people saying, well, it's their fault or they did this, they did that. You know what? Take ownership for who you are. Mm-hmm. Understand that decisions you make define where you're going to be. And if you don't like that decision or you don't like where you're at, then make a different decision, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that, you know, that was something that my parents really taught me that, you know, mm-hmm. it, you have to take ownership you know, if I do something wrong, Jesse knows, I'm like, no, I did that. Yeah, I broke that rule. Or, you know, yeah, no, I did this. And I'm usually, um, um, you know, very forthcoming about that. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, responsibility, take responsibility for your actions, uh, respect, kindness, compassion. I mean, that defines who you are. Mm -hmm. Those were foundational things that you learned from your your parents. Um, In terms of of life, Life is always going to present you with challenges. You mentioned about your your previous marriage. Uh, you talked about your your son um, uh, and his birth and the issues that he had because, consequently because of that. So there's always going to be obstacles in life and challenges. Uh, what has become known to you while facing all those different obstacles? So I, I, you know, I I think that you have to. Those challenges, those obstacles are just things that you look at. The way I always look at them, okay, I'm going to overcome them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, you know, I, I've faced um, sexism. I have mm-hmm. faced, um, you know, discrimination. I have faced, um, you know, all kinds of things. And, you know, and, and I always look at it, okay, I can give attitude right now mm-hmm. or I can use my emotional intelligence to get through this. <laughs> And Jesse knows about the interviews I've had. I use my emotional intelligence because mm-hmm. who who you are, I can't change. Mm-hmm. You're the only one that can change that. So if mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in a position where, 
you're judging me in a bad way, or I'm in a position where I'm not getting the job because I'm a woman or because you don't like me or because whatever, I can't change you. Mm-hmm. I can only change me. Mm-hmm. So if there's a way for me to work the situation out for my, you know, for the better, then I'm going to try and do that. But if I can't, then I have to, again, I have to make a decision. Am I moving on? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I have made that decision more than once. I've made the decision to use my emotional intelligence <coughs> to um, always say, you know, it, well, I teach emotional intelligence in, in the classroom. I always say, you know what, it gives you power over people. Mm-hmm. And you can choose to use your powers for good or you can choose to use your powers for bad. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to use my powers for good. Um, you know, but if you have high emotional intelligence, I mean, I, the reality is you can get people to do anything you want. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, that that's how you get these people, these, um, you know, occults and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're just manipulating people. Mm-hmm. Can you give me a, a, a quick description um, of what social emotional intelligence is. I know there's five major competencies that go with that. Yeah, that's um, a whole different show, brother. Yeah, that is. That, a, that they should put that into your. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, you should. Mm-hmm. Um, but one. <laughs> so, so the the way the way I look at it is yeah, this. the so, way you yeah, look, the way yeah, you look at I mean, it. I mean, there are there you know mm-hmm. there's different competencies, there's different parts of it. The bottom line is the ability to recognize you, your flaws, self evaluate the impact you have on other people to identify them what you know how they're feeling what they're going through and how it works so I'll, I'll give you an example this i always i always give this one to my students so um you know um the field i work in is a predominantly male field mm-hmm. and <coughs> i can't remember one time that i walked into a room and there wasn't at least one man who looked at me or gave me an attitude because i was a woman every <laughs> time i walked in the room there's been at least one so i always know who that person is ahead of time i know who i'm meeting with I know, um, and I try and find out more information. So like, for instance, if I know that he's a big football person, or if I know that his kid plays baseball, or I know that, um, you know, his daughter got married. When I walk in the room, I'm like, (coughs) you know, hey, Mr. So-and-so, it's so good to see you again. How did Jessica's wedding go? Oh, my God, I bet she was a beautiful bride. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that you got to experience that. And, you know, it's using my emotional intelligence to get that person to open up a little, to get that person to recognize that, hey, you know, I may have prejudged them or maybe I still don't like her because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. But the reality is she's not a bad woman. But you, you disarm them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Let Essentially. Me, let me ask you this. How do I? Well, I know. No, it's very exciting because, you know, my last my last job, uh, you know, adult teaching young people yeah. the components of social and emotional intelligence and you try to do that uh, but one of the things that that i struggle with is anger mm-hmm. uh, in particular because um you know you know you like you said you got bosses that you know they know everything and you do nothing plus i could go into a room and i'm the only color person there mm-hmm. so that that like makes you feel a little bit awkward how was someone that's that that has dealt with that or, or is going through that how do they deal with it without looking at themselves as a minority or inferior so i mean so i think there's two different things going on because you talk about anger then you talk about minority and inferior. Yeah. so um, the, because it built, yeah. I mean, you know, that you could, the, uh, you know, looking at, you could build that anger, but w- you didn't do that. You you flipped it oh, in no, a different no. way. Yeah, I didn't say I didn't have anger. Oh, okay. Oh, this is interesting. Yeah. I just don't display my anger. So, so my. <laughs> that's emotional intelligence. Yes. 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 Yeah, so, yeah that's what, yeah. So here's, here's, exactly. Yeah, here's what I always tell the students. The people I like at work know that I like them. Mm-hmm. The people who I don't like at work have no idea I don't like them. Mm. 
Now, when I get home, I may be like, oh, that person's such a pain in the butt. Yeah. But when I'm at work, I'm professional. I'm spot on. You have to, you're going to have feelings of frustration. You're going to have feelings of anger. The emotional intelligence allows me to understand that I can't express that Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. But I need to express that later on. Mm -hmm. You need to let it out. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a punching bag, whether it's taking a walk, whether Mm -hmm. it's a sport, whether it's working out, swimming, whatever it is, you have to be able to release that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, that's just going to continue to build up. And one day it's going to come out. Yes. Um, So so that's how, you know, I do it. So when I'm at work, this is me. Actually, it's interesting because they did a test one time at the work for all our leadership. And they tested me. Mm-hmm. And the, the psychologist came in and said, I really want to talk to you. And I said, okay. I said, what's going on? Did I fail it? I'm like, did I fail it? And he's did like, I fail it? Yeah. And he's like, I want to know how you cope. And I said, what are you talking about? I didn't answer anything personal on there. <laughs> he said, so I gave you guys a scale that identified your personality at work and your personality at home. He said, your personality at work and your personality at home are 100% opposites. <laughs> He's like, how are you doing that? And I said, well, when I walk in the door, I'm at work. Yeah. This is who I have to be. This is who I'm going to be. I've already made up my mind when I come in, what I need to achieve that day, the people I need to communicate with, how I'm going to help, what I'm going to do. That's already made up. Yeah. The moment I leave, I can be me. Yeah. I can be in my t-shirts. I can be in my shorts. I can be in my socks, you know, mm-hmm. but the moment I walk in the door, this is who I am. If I like you, if I don't like you, it doesn't matter. Everyone's going to feel they've been treated fairly. Everyone's going to feel the same about it. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to feel that I cared about them. Mm-hmm. When I walk home, I mean, there. I mean, not walk home. I drive home. But when I get home, <laughs> yeah. When I get home, there are people who I work with who I literally have seen in stores that as soon as I see them, I'm like, hey, I just look and I walk away because I got yeah. nothing nice to say to that person. Yeah, correct. So I'm because I'm not at work. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I have to be nice to you now, but when I'm at work, I need to be a professional. I need to be supportive. I need to be a team player. Yeah. But when I'm away from work, I'm a different person. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a mean person, not an ugly person, but I'm a person that I don't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with the talking. I don't want to deal with the backstabbing. I don't want to deal with any of it. The politics of it mm-hmm. all. Absolutely. This is who I am. The good that, news is, is that it's obvious she likes us. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's interesting. I wouldn't be we, here if I didn't. We, That's right. Exactly. We, we did an episode on the masks that we wear. Yes. You know, and understanding That's, like the dark side of ourselves. And we have to give that a time to play. You have to. And you have to be able to separate where you are yeah. and present yourself separately where you are. And that's not being disingenuous. No. no. And it's that's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And that's interesting because it sort of leads into like the, the in the ski are, there's the, the I stands for integration and so what you're doing is essentially you 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 recognize that when you're at work this is what you're going to do this is how you're going to behave i'm going to go home i don't need to deal with this anymore i'm not going to deal with it and so that's how you've you you understand that about yourself and then you go back every day and integrate back into um work life professional life with your students interactions with people and so i think that's really (coughs) important because that's a Again, I, I, I think you're a very highly emotionally intelligent person um, because you have that capability. Not everybody can do that where they can just go back and integrate even though they feel this way, you know? Yeah. It's hard to do. It, it is hard. And I'm not, by any means, I'm not saying it's easy. I no, mean, no, no, no. You know, there's yeah. times, there's times in the office while I'll shut the door. I'm like, okay, 
I've had enough today of everything that's going on. I just need to shut the door because I have mm-hmm. to get this done because mm-hmm. it's for the students or mm-hmm. it's for, uh, you know, I'm helping somebody out or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is my job. I need to focus on this. Mm-hmm. I can't. Yeah. And I've had to shut the door. And then there's times that, you know, I go home and I'm like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> but when I'm at home, I'm at home, mm-hmm. you know, but I want to talk about self-esteem real quick. Okay. Okay. Cause you mentioned self-esteem and feeling good about yourself. So I have over the years had a lot of times where I didn't feel good about myself. Mm. I'm very self-conscious. I've gained a lot of weight. Mm. I don't like being on camera. I do not like that at all. There are no cameras <laughs> she here. She um, pointed at yeah. the would-be she, she camera. She looked at it, but I no. did. Yeah. It's almost like you have this thing <coughs> against the camera. I do. I don't yeah. like. I don't like pictures of me. So I'm, I'm very self-conscious mm-hmm. about that. And um, you know, my self-esteem is pretty low. I mean, mm-hmm. I I like to say, oh, I've got a good self-esteem, but I don't. I never have. Mm-hmm. Um. But I have to identify that that is a thought process that I have. Mm -hmm. I have to identify that that's how I'm defining myself because other people, no one has walked up to me and said, you're fat and ugly. Yeah. And you know what? Even if they did, that's still just their opinion. But Because a lot of people tell me, you look fine. That's yeah. what you guys told me earlier. You mm. look fine. Yeah. So where does that come do? from? <laughs> where? Because where, I, I struggle with that as well. Um, I'm I'm extremely hard on myself. And you just identified where it came from. Yeah, but but yeah, it comes from you. But what what attributes <laughs> that? Because nobody's telling you any of this. It, so we have when we start when we start looking and you took Dr. Cohen's class. So mm-hmm. I'm sure he went over our fallacies of thought. Yes. Yep. Yes. So, um, you know, we have to understand that our mind is an incredible thing, uh-huh. right? And even when we're thinking about something else, in the back of our mind, there's a it's thousand there. things going on. So even if I'm thinking I really look good, you know, I may see a picture. So, oh my God, I thought I looked good that day, but uh, I obviously did not. <laughs> that is my mind telling me that, you know what? I don't need to worry about that. Cause even if I didn't look good, even if I did look good, that's in the past. Yeah. What can I do is moving forward. I have to understand that who I am, I have to feel good about. And if I don't like the way I look, that's okay. I have mm-hmm. to feel good about how I treat people. Mm-hmm. I need to feel good about what I do mm-hmm. as far as, you know, what actually defines me. Yeah, I define myself. Yeah. How people see me and define me, it's all up to me. I can come in and I can be the mean, ugly person at work. Mm-hmm. Or I can be the person that they just think is amazing and kind and sweet. And they don't really care if I'm ugly. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. I can do it either way. I mean, it, it's all up to us but we do have to understand our mind plays tricks on us our Mm -hmm. mind continues to say negative things you know and that part of that can be you know fallacies of thought part of that can be our thought process part of it may be traumas we've experienced with kids teased us Mm -hmm. it could be our parents said negative things to us Mm -hmm. i I like to tell the joke um um my mom so um i was uh we were doing a rant for my granny she'd come home from the hospital and she was in a wheelchair now so we're doing a rant and we needed to get 40 80 pound bags of cement from home depot and at the time now I was, um, I was read was when I was reading meters. So I was walking about 14, meter, 14 miles a day reading meters. So I mm-hmm. was like skinny. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm 50 pounds lighter than I am now. I was toned. I was tan. And, um, we go, but to you're get, also married. And again, people don't realize you get a lot of weight when you're married. Cause you're just happy, 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 <laughs> happy, happy weight, you know, then, then I definitely, cause I, I love, I have the most amazing husband in the world right now. Um, so, but we go to get the cement, right? So we get, you know, and they bring it out on, um, you know, the, the forklift and, um, the guy says, oh, do you need help loading this up? And it was me and my mom. Mm-hmm. And the guy says, you need help loading this up. My mom says, no, I brought my hefty daughter with me today. <laughs> you did tell me this. I remember. And I I, <laughs> I, I, I love telling that story because at the time I just kind of looked at her and I was like, 
mom, did you just call me fat? Mm -hmm. But the reality was that she had enough confidence in me that she knew I was strong enough to do that. And I did. I I loaded up those... 80 pound bags, wow. 40, 80 pound bags in wow. the back of that trailer. The whole time I'm thinking, mama, we could have gotten help from somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I, I tell her that story all the time when she says something, she has Alzheimer's now. So I like to tell her, remember when you called me the hefty daughter? I never said that. No. I said, you certainly did. <laughs> um, so I have fun with it now, but Dude. you know, I could have taken that one of two ways. Yeah. I could have been insulted or I could have taken it. Hey, she has faith that I'm strong that, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, and, and compared to my sister's, I am an Amazon, you know, so, um, yeah, I am compared to them. So, you know, I am the hefty daughter, but I'm also, um, you know, this is me. Yeah. You know, I, I can, there's times I get uncomfortable with the way I look and stuff, but you know, then I think, okay, did I do a good deed today? Did I help somebody today? Was Mm -hmm. I kind to somebody today? Cause that's really how I should define myself. You know what? Kindness and compassion, all that stuff. That doesn't mean I have to give money. That doesn't mean I have to volunteer. It just means it can just be a kind word to say in somebody you look good in that shirt today or just saying, you know what? I really appreciate you doing that. Thank you so much. People need to hear that. And when we give that to them, even though we're doing it in a way for them, I really think it's also helping us. Mm -hmm. And that's how I can say, yeah, I had a good day today. You know what? I made three people smile when I told Mm -hmm. a quirky joke, you know, or I did this, I did that. And that's what I need to define who I am by. And I want to, I want to know, What's your perception or what's your opinion of Christ, uh, of religion now at this stage in your life after going through all this stuff after obviously That's living your life <laughs> living your life in, on 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 those principles and again by by no means I'm, so just so you know I'm not perfect I have made a lot of mistakes and who hasn't yeah, a lot of mistakes <laughs> in my life it's a great question now so I you know I I still think that um you know I'm I'm frustrated with organized religion. Mm-hmm. I'm very frustrated with how politics has come into Christianity right now. Mm-hmm. Um, for to, and for and for that matter, all religions. Yeah, for me to hear people say that they're Christians in one breath, and then they talk about um, how much they hate immigrants, and mm-hmm. they start talking bad things and all this other stuff. I'm just, I just like, just, like really, because. Pretty sure that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> Pretty sure that's not what Christianity is, you know. And, and so, it, it, I'm very frustrated mm-hmm. um, with how they've taken the concepts that you know in the Word of God and in in Jesus and 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 changed it so that they can be ugly and hateful. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is um, that's pretty upsetting right now. Yeah. So, be, being aware of that situation uh, of how you build your life on those principles and being aware <coughs> excuse me <laughs> maybe 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 it doesn't want me to ask the question i don't know that's god telling you don't go there don't, don't go, go there, there. <laughs> you know being aware of 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 building your life on those principles and i think for the most part um i mean that i mean that's what it what it's become and seeing what people have turned that beautiful teaching into what it is today. How do you see the future turning out to people? Because those values that, that, that I, those ideas of, of, of respect for your parents, 
um, respect and admiration for the people who are in authority, uh, particularly teachers. And and you talked to you made I, examples I, of that. Yeah. So I know that you want a philosophical answer here because you got no. Really just keep it simple. But again, this is part of you telling me to slow down. Okay. Yeah. I'm so trying here's, to. <laughs> here's the reality. I'm a realist. Uh-huh. It's not looking good. Okay. That's all I can say. It's not mm-hmm. looking good. So how does a person? Still hold on to philosophy. No, no, no. I want to know from your standpoint, like what, how does a person that, that, because we can't trust these structures anymore, but how does a person still live those life a life based on those principles when those structures are not there to support them? Well, so again, I'm gonna go back to the fact that I'm not perfect. Trust me. Mm -hmm. I have broken a lot of commandments in my life. I haven't killed anybody, you know, everything like that. But, um, (laughs) Um, Thou shalt not kill is one of those. So you make sure you stole a couple of people's hearts, but that's a different story. Yeah. Yeah. Throw that out there. So, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've broken a lot of commands, but you know, it always comes back to what my mama says, Mm -hmm. you know, you just need to be kind, There you go. you know, and, and there are times I lose my temper and, you know, and I may get ugly and I stuff, but then I come back to God, that didn't feel good. It did not feel (coughs) good to do that. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, I, I, it, it's, I can't spend my time trying to justify the world or think about it because when I do, and Jesse knows this, when I start thinking about what's going on right now and the way people are behaving, who do I get upset? No. We had an interesting discussion yesterday and I was just like, oh boy, yeah. why do they always do this by my desk? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I'm sorry. I, <laughs> no, no, I, I no, 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 too. No, it was a good conversation because I was involved yeah. in it because I was talking about Omar and, and how people have, um, got your back. have no, experienced how people... Uh, they mistreat other people yes. and, and the ignorance of individuals, like I was saying, you know, people think Omar is black. Is it because of the color of his skin? You don't know that he is a it's black just Omar. man. Yeah. That's, that's, it, that's what I want to, that's it. That's, that's what I want to be looked at. This is Omar I've always known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's Omar. That's it. And we have differing perspectives and points of view. And the fact that you don't even want to take the time. This is what I think of you. You want to take the time to get to know that person and understand them. And you may not agree with their perspectives, but okay, I'm willing to have a little debate and talk about that because I think that, you know, I've seen you do that. Mm-hmm. But, and, and then at the end of the day, it's okay, well, we're going to agree to disagree, yep. but I can appreciate that we have, I've seen you yep. do that. I can appreciate we had this conversation. We're not going to agree, but that's okay. People mm-hmm. who I don't like and I don't respect, I don't care. Exactly. But I think that most of the people that I've seen you engage with, and that's always been the outcome. And I have a deep respect for that. 95% of the people in the world. I'll, <clears throat> but there's some people that I'm just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just let them talk. And when they're done, all right. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks for coming. Mm-hmm. I move your, done. I'm move your way. Because yeah. that's, not, that's not a person I want in my life. That's not a person mm-hmm. I even want to be around. I mean, right. I'm not so, okay, so I'm like a real big Marvel person. You know, I love my <laughs> X-Men. I love all those. I'm a comic book person. I'm a nerd. You know, and and I'm not a telepath, but I'm going to tell you when people are good people, I can feel it. I can sense yeah. it. Yeah. And when people are bad people, you just, it's just like. Oh, Your soul speaks to yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, like, so. You get Je- that vibe. Yeah. I mean, Jesse, so Jesse, as a woman, we know there's different ways men hug of hug us mm. some men want to hug you so they can cop a feel like the dirty old man hug right <laughs> dirty old man. i mean we know that right it's true we it's can, true i can tell by a hug 
what that person wants and is thinking, right? Uh-huh. You know that. Yeah, that's of true. Course. And there's some people that when they go, especially men, when they want to hug me, I just stick my hand out because I'm thinking, I can feel what you want, and that ain't going to happen. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and I think that we all kind of have that, right? We all have that yeah. That person walks in the room like, God, you, you know, they're... You have that sense. Yeah. yeah. And then there's people that walk in a room, and I'm like, there's some people that'll come up, like I'll be talking to you and Denise and, mm-hmm. you know, and there's some people that'll come up and I can just sense who they are. And I'm just like, go right back to my office. I'm yeah. like, I'm, and yeah. then there's some people I kind of hang out to make sure they don't attack you guys mm-hmm. or say anything ugly to you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some people <coughs> I just want to sit there because I'm like, oh God, what an awesome person. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that we all have that ability um, if we open up our minds and our hearts to give everybody an opportunity and a chance yeah. that yeah. you can start feeling and sensing, you know? Yeah. And I mean... You know, I've been wrong. There's sometimes I thought, like, ah, oh, that's a great person. I'm like, ooh, I messed up that one. That was a really bad person. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's not very often. No. no. Yeah. But you you answer actually the R part of the nice. ski R, which I is I did it. I got an A. Yeah. <laughs> which is how how you choose to live your life. Yeah. You know, and how do you return with all this information? It's 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 understanding correct me if I'm wrong, I'm trying to recap, is one, um, trusting you, listen to yourself. And know when something doesn't feel right, whether it so. But to trust and listen yourself, you need to have, you, you need to make sure that your inner voice is on track. Yes. All right. Yes. Because there's times that I trust and listen to myself, and after I'm like, oh, that was really bad. Why did I do that? Was <laughs> a bad decision, right? Mistake. Yeah. Um, so I, I, and I think, and that's part of that emotional intelligence, being able to self reflect. And be able to say, okay, I see where I went wrong there. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I missed that red flag. Or, you know, I did that in a selfish way instead of really evaluating the situation. You know, it was impulsive or that. So that's that going back and being, because you're going to make mistakes. Everybody yeah. makes mistakes, right? <coughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that self-reflection is so important that mm-hmm. when things don't go your way or it didn't happen the way you wanted, okay, where? And sometimes it's decisions we make. Sometimes it's things we do. And then sometimes it's something we have no control of. I mean, exactly. you know, the, you know, the, the times that I didn't get those jobs, it had nothing to do with me. So I'll go back in my mind. Okay. I answered this question. I answered this question. Why didn't yeah. I get this job? Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. I answered da, 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 da. No, I should have gotten it. Yeah. You know, and it, I can't control if I didn't get it yeah. and I can be frustrated about that, mm-hmm. but I need to move on. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, what's the big deal? It's true. There's, I mean, there's other jobs. There's, you know, and maybe it's your dream job. You know what? It, keep going. Mm-hmm. There's other opportunities. It may not be. So my, so I, I go back to, there's this poem, um, that was, it's written for, um, parents of special needs kids. And mm-hmm. it's like, so you went to Holland and, and it talks about that you planned a vacation to go Paris and, and, you know, and you were going to see the Eiffel tower and you're going to do this and do all these great things. And, um, but you get off the plane and you're in Holland mm. And you realize it's different, <laughs> but you know what? It's still beautiful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The flowers yeah. are still amazing. It's still a great place to be. And you know, and the, and it's, it, I, I used to have it on my wall at work because it reminded me how special I was to have a special, you know, how, how amazing it was to have a special needs child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, yeah, I didn't get to Paris, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't get to do all the things other parents did. But you know what? My God, did I have some great times. You know, mm. I mean, some amazing experiences. Mm-hmm. So maybe I didn't wind up in Paris. But you know what? Holland's pretty darn good, too. Yeah. So I, I think we have to self-reflect. You didn't get that job. Things didn't work out the way you want. You know, but what is going on in your life right now that's good? Yeah. That's positive. What can you change if it's not? How mm-hmm. can you make a difference in your own destiny? And the only person that can is you. It's you. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. We hope you found our discussion helpful and informative. Comment below with your thoughts and remember to stay connected by subscribing and sharing.